Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the... Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? It is indeed, Matt Riddle, the WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right. Getting Over is back once again, coming off one long week and kickstarting another as we are about to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE, wrapping this show up with an ultimate preview for the 2023 edition of WWE Money in the Bank from London, England. We have a ton to break down on today's show. Vintage Chris Vanini, after leaving me hanging for that AEW NJPW Forbidden Door Instant Reaction Show, he's back with this ultimate preview, and he will be back for the Money in the Bank Instant Reaction at the end of the week. Before we get to him, a reminder off the top that this podcast is all about So please remember, especially this week, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Vintage and getting over. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review on Spotify. You can comment on individual episodes. If you do, we will read them live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. This week, you will be able to vote in our pre and post show polls surrounding money in the bank. Those will factor in to our instant reaction podcast Saturday early evening once the show goes off the air. And we will be doing a live show on Twitter spaces Saturday afternoon on the East Coast here in the United States ahead of money in the bank. One more reminder before we continue with the show. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you love it as well, because for only $5 a month, you can become an official getting overhead. Not only do you get bonus audio and news posts over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, that $5 a month supports the existence of this show. Chris and I, we get a couple beers, maybe some pizza out of it. It's just enough to keep us going. We appreciate you all so much, but if you would be willing to head on over there and do that contribution, we'd appreciate you even more. Speaking of, Brittany W., we appreciate you becoming the latest getting overhead. She said she is here for big, meaty men slapping meat. It's look good, but she's got me saying, hey now. Hey now, Brittany, not only that, Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. We acknowledge you and we appreciate you becoming the latest official getting overhead. Chris, we have a ton to talk about on today's show. A lot of stuff in the world of WWE as you rejoin us here. I hope you're refreshed coming out of a couple days of not having to do this professional wrestling podcasting that we love so much. Yeah, you know, I'm this is once again, I'm in my parents' basement for this week's edition of the show. That makes this uh, an official wrestling podcast this week. Uh, I have not actually watched Forbidden Door yet. I've seen clips. I need to get up on that. I did watch the SmackDown Collision live over the weekend. Did some brief traveling with the family and, and some other things going on uh, this weekend. But it's it's good to be back. And 
yeah, Money in the Bank is here. I'm excited. Well, perhaps if you do get the chance to watch some of those key matches before the week is out, maybe we can sneak you on to the AEW show this coming Thursday. Maybe not. We will see. But folks, let me give you a quick rundown of our schedule this week. I did forget that before we get into the show. I promise it will be brief. First of all, let me remind you about last week. Okay, we had an exclusive one on one sit down conversation with WWE ring announcer Samantha Irvin. Not only has that been well-received critically, and I appreciate all of that very much, Samantha has been an absolute doll sharing it on her Twitter, her TikTok, her Instagram page. So we're getting a lot of coverage on it. And if you haven't listened to this interview, I'm telling you, take your time, go and listen to it. Whether you're a fan of hers, even if you're not, which I can't imagine being the case, but even if you're not, it's one of the favorite interviews that I've done on this podcast. Anytime I get the chance to sit down with someone for more than those like 15 or 20 minute allotments, We sat down and talked for 40 minutes. You learn a lot about her life, her career, her relationship a little bit, her time on America's Got Talent, and of course, her role right now in WWE. Make sure you listen to that interview. Also, if you happen to miss it, make sure you hear that AEW NJPW Forbidden Door Instant Reaction Podcast from Sunday. We also had a recap of night one of NXT Gold Rush last week, so a ton of podcasts for you already to listen to. This week, of course, you're at your WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview right now. We'll be back on Wednesday with an NXT Gold Rush Night 2 recap, and that's because on Thursday, we're going to have another extended AEW show talking Dynamite, Collision, Rampage, and Fallout from Forbidden Door. And then lastly, of course, on Saturday, our WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction. Okay, enough of this intro getting into the show, Chris. Let's actually start talking about professional wrestling. Now, you know... I have been down on SmackDown for the better part of the last month, other than the Bloodline segments, which have stood out. Now, while the individual elements of SmackDown on Friday may not have been terrible, I found the show to be an awful waste of time. I thought it was the the worst of this last grouping of SmackDowns that we've gotten, probably because the Bloodline follow-up was so lackluster coming out of a huge segment the week before. Nothing that happened on SmackDown other than the title unification match mattered one iota. And even that only mattered so much. And yes, I know you all are waiting for this. SmackDown (laughs) was in Lafayette, Louisiana. Now, given how hot WWE crowds have been recently, I went in without bias in my mind. I did, honestly. I thought the fans were going to give us a redemptive performance. Guess what? They did not. Now, I don't fully blame them, at least compared to that Raw last year, because this show was weak, but they sucked nonetheless. Sheamus and Charlotte Flair are super over generally, and neither got anything close to their normal reactions. Even Ray freaking Mysterio got a weak pop. Now, they popped big for LA Knight. Everyone seemingly loves LA Knight. That's great. But that's one person on the entire show. Meanwhile, Savannah, Georgia, three nights later, put them to absolute shame on Raw. These are cities of nearly the exact same size, yet Savannah shit on Lafayette from a fan engagement standpoint. They took an already strong Raw on Monday and made it extremely entertaining. And this is coming from someone, let's be clear, who does not like Georgia. I'm a Florida Gator, okay? Louisiana, I can deal with you because New Orleans is so great and Baton Rouge is pretty fun too. I have no care for the state of Georgia. Savannah shit all over Lafayette this week. I don't know if anyone from WWE listens to this show. We've had indications, Chris, that at least from the creative side, there's people listening, not Triple H, obviously, but people lower down the totem pole. But hopefully someone from the event booking side is listening. 
I believe in redemption, Chris. I believe in second chances. What I don't believe in is Lafayette, Louisiana. Well, first off, technically, it wasn't Lafayette, Louisiana. According to the Chiron on SmackDown, it was Cajun Dome, Louisiana. <laughs> they, they didn't want to say Lafayette. They went with Cajun Dome, which is a great name. I wouldn't want to say Lafayette either. I... I think you're being unnecessarily harsh. They weren't great, but like you said, most of SmackDown didn't matter. They got up for LA Knight. They got up for Pretty Deadly during their mm. segment, which we'll get into. It was mm. okay, but it, it largely was, there wasn't much to go off of. I thought it was a below average crowd, not not at the level uh, of the way they've been portrayed in the past. Also, Georgia, you've got Cody Rhodes there, mm-hmm. Georgia's own Cody Rhodes. You know, they're hyping into that. You don't have Roman Reigns here. It's, it's, it is a tough comparison in that. Sense. Dude, Savannah was hot, though, the entire it show. Was, it was. Three and hours think, on fire they were. I think I think Sean Ross Sapp said it was the, the best gate they've ever had in Savannah, Georgia, WWE. Has. Yeah. So uh, definitely big, big, big crowd for Savannah. So props to them. Well, and by the way, let me make something else clear separate from all of this. Those gates, the biggest gate ever. AEW is doing it, too. It's inflation and rising ticket prices. Like it's it's fine. It's all accurate. I'm not saying it's incorrect, but sure. Like WWE is going to claim that every yes. single time they go to a city now because they're doing 10,000 people in many of these cities. And because the ticket right. prices are more expensive, it's the largest gate. But it's true. They're, yeah, they're, they're doing a great job it, selling it, tickets. They like they the, the camera side, the hard camera side used to be really empty even a couple of years ago. For right. WWE. They are now filling up these arenas. Totally. Good. I'm not I'm not denigrating any of their success. I'm just saying it's. That that metric, I care more about tickets sold than like the price of the tickets, if that makes sense, or the total of it. And regarding Lafayette, like, look, man, okay, I have a gimmick here, and maybe I'm playing into it a little bit with Lafayette, okay? But it was terrible. Like, I'm not, I'm not. Maybe like the exaggeration is turned up like ten percent. I'll admit, maybe, but it was bad. It was a shitty crowd, and again, it wasn't a good show. So I don't blame them like I did for the other Raw, where they actively yeah. made it worse last year. It was a good yeah. show that they made bad here. It was a bad show that they didn't help make better. So, yes, it's different. I admit. Still, let's not run Lafayette, Louisiana anymore. Uh, Speaking of events and these United States, Chris, we had some WWE news come out over the last week. Uh, So, look, we know SummerSlam is coming up in five weeks time after Money in the Bank. That's going to be the first premium live event in the continental United States since WrestleMania, which is 125 days and nearly one third of the year. And I have to guess that has not happened ever, you know, since WWE's begun running like monthly shows or even anything close to it, right? But it does seem like WWE will close out 2023 with all of their PLEs other than Crown Jewel, which is probably gonna be set for some point in November, I would guess early November. Uh, But all the other ones are going to be in the continental United States. Payback was announced for September 2nd in Pittsburgh and Fastlane for October 7th in Indianapolis. Both of them seem thematic. Payback coming immediately after SummerSlam, maybe referring to the bloodline. Fastlane in a city that hosts the Indianapolis 500 and is known for racing. So they're actually using the name of the show to relate to the city rather than it being on the quote-unquote road to WrestleMania, which is previously where Fastlane was positioned. Uh, Both Saturdays in the fall, which of course sucks massively for yourself and myself. But other than that, I like the shows, I like the locations, and I do think that is pretty smart scheduling. Shout out to the Midwest, getting SummerSlam, Payback, and 
uh, Fastlane all in that is, three month. Pittsburgh, span. the Midwest is that is Pennsylvania considered the Midwest? It's it's well, Eastern Pennsylvania is not, but Western Pennsylvania, you get pretty close. You're okay. you're, you're really close to Ohio there. But for Fair a enough. long time, you know, we've had shows in Texas, in L.A., on the East Coast. Yeah. And so it's it's pretty cool that they're going to be running three straight pay-per-views in that Midwest area uh, for everybody involved. They make sense. Fastlane, Pat McAfee announced it. He obviously is in Indianapolis and does everything there. Right. Uh, He'll surely be involved is, in some way. How will be involved? Yeah. I don't know, but. Also, Payback Pittsburgh, that's where Pat McAfee's from. So maybe, hmm. you know, something else there as well. But uh, no, good to know. And I, I like sometimes, I like changing it up, you know, changing up these shows year to year. Uh, so it's not all the same thing on the same calendar. You can move Fastlane around, Payback, bring it back and forth, do some different things. It keeps it fresh. So I like that. Now, I am told that there's not going to be a December premium live event. They didn't do one last year either because the plan was to run day one, but ultimately they didn't run day one. So last year, there was no premium live event for WWE between the main roster, I'm sorry, between Survivor Series, which was November 26th, and Royal Rumble, which was January 28th. So two months. And again, I don't know about early January if they're going to try to do day one. I don't even know what day New Year's Day is. or It's, what, a, it's a Monday. I just looked at it. Okay, up. so I, I doubt they're going to run it on... New Year's Eve or the 30th, which would be the college football playoff, I assume, right? All right. Actually, look this up. The college football playoff is Monday, January 1st, Rose Bowl in the afternoon, semifinal game at the Sugar Bowl at night. Right. So that's more to conflict with and possibly Monday night football as well. I'm not sure. So, yeah, that's going to be conflicting with. I mean, they're, they're, that's the schedule because they're the New Year's Day rotation part of the playoff. So that's why those are that day. So theoretically, the 30th, if WWE wanted to run a show there, would be open. But again, as of right now, I'm told they're not going to have a December premium live event. Maybe that changes. I don't know. But again, just telling you what I've heard to this point. Um, and yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Raw and maybe Monday Night Football going against two playoff games. That's that's going to be an insane Monday night um, to start the year. But OK, I'll, nevertheless, let's get away from that. Just wanted to give the premium live event announcement. One more piece of news to discuss before we get into the entire show. WWE announced Tuesday morning right before we started that Jackie Redmond, many of you know her as someone who covers NHL, I believe for the score in Canada primarily. Um, she has been doing studio shows for WWE. She's going to become a backstage interviewer on Raw. That is going to mean Kathy Kelly is moving over to SmackDown alongside Kayla Braxton. And then Megan Morant is going to move into a studio role. Now, I don't so much mind Megan in the studio. That's fine. But Kathy and Kayla on the same show, I think that's going to send Paul Heyman into a conniption. Like, <laughs> it might actually kill him. So I don't love that. No, but in all seriousness, I love Kayla and Kathy. Both are awesome. I liked having them on separate shows. So I do find it weird that they're making this change. Chris, I don't even know if you have a take on the entire thing. But I did like them separate. I liked the energy Kathy brought to Raw and Kayla, obviously, to SmackDown. Both being on SmackDown, nothing against Jackie, but I don't know that. I don't understand why you would have one interviewer on a three-hour show and two on a two-hour show. It's it's confusing to me. And also, they're probably the two biggest personalities in terms of backstage interviews we have. We also have Byron Saxton. Is he still doing that? Maybe oh, he's yes. On. He's still doing that on Raw. That's why. that They do yeah, have two on he'll, Raw. He'll yep. be on Raw. But uh, grabbing someone from the score, I mean, that's where they got, you know, Renee Paquette from. So good yeah. track record there. And and again, Jackie's done a really good job on in the studio stuff. I'm just kind of mm -hmm. surprised to see them make this move and 
put Kathy and Kayla on the same show. To me, that's a little what, bit surprising. What would also indicate Kevin Patrick staying in play-by-play and not moving back to something like that. Since they didn't announce it, that indeed would indicate that. And Chris, I just don't get it. <laughs> I, I like the guy. He seems like a really good dude. He does. And he's great calling play-by-play for soccer. He is. I, I mm-hmm. don't get why he's still on Raw. Doesn't make sense to me. All right. Uh, look, we have a four segment show today. We have a ton to get to. The main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly are WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview, which will contain most of the show, and the last word wrapping things up. So, Chris, let's not waste any more time. Let's kick things off as we always do by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And this is a one part main event this week. I'm calling it. The Bloodline Civil War begins with a thud. So Jay was wearing white, Jimmy wearing black. The Usos opened SmackDown to big Uso and Usi chants. Jay was conflicted about fighting family, but Jimmy reassured him. Jay reiterated that they still love Roman Reigns. He is the tribal chief and forgiveness is possible, but they would not tolerate disrespect from him or allowing Paul Heyman to infiltrate the family and try to split the Usos up. Then they got hyped for the tag team match. It was A surprisingly clunky opening, at least for me. Jay was a bit all over the place. Jimmy's tone was off. It sounded like Jimmy was 100% scripted. And the promo itself, it just didn't make that much sense. Like Roman has been disrespecting them for years now, not weeks. The reason for the turn was Jimmy felt disrespected. And Jay had a problem with Reigns and Heyman trying to turn the brothers against each other. That's what this should have been the focus on. The whole segment was not nearly as strong as it should have been or could have been. It was just fine. Yeah, the segment just felt like the official acknowledgement to everybody that the Usos are faces now and we can cheer them and do that because it's it's really been quite a long time since they were faces Mm -hmm. to cheer like years and years. And so it felt like Everybody come out. We're going to say some nice things. You're going to cheer us. We're, we're, we're setting that up and then we move forward. Um, the only the only thing it, it was fine. It was whatever. Not much going on. The, their final line, though, to bring They kind of brought back for the first time in a while. Welcome to the Uso Penitentiary. Mm-hmm. I don't like that as much as you, the twos and we, the ones. Agreed. Like, this would have been a. they were still wearing the shirts. It would have mm-hmm. been a great. Point to say Roman and Solo, you the twos and we the ones, and boom, like they they can still they're they're obviously keeping we the ones at least between the two of them. So going back to Uso Penitentiary as their you know closing catchphrase uh, was a change, and one I wasn't as as big a fan of. Well, that was another thing that piqued my interest is that okay they're still doing we're the ones and that's okay, like it makes sense on in the context that they're using it, but that really was a bloodline phraseology and. Mm-hmm. Because they're a team and they're having each other's backs, it kind of felt to me like they should have ditched that and maybe gone with were the two and held up two fingers each in the air rather than one to say we're together, we're brothers, we're a team, we're not going to be individualized like you were trying to you know do to us. Um, it felt like a coming together moment would have been possible if they changed that, took the shirts off, unveiled new ones, it's more merchandise to sell. Yeah. I didn't really find that to be as parallel as it should have been, to your point. I kind of feel like it, it's you could use it as them taking the ones back. Because remember Roman, that's you know, what he they puts did. Up the one. Right. You know, every put your everybody put your ones up. 
and they're kind of they've broken apart and the idea is they're taking the ones yeah you know, the pointing and all that stuff. they're saying we're but the ones really not you that. it's a you know it's us yeah. and, and that's okay yeah. again it's it's fine to do that i have no issue with it it's just you're saying you're the ones but you're actually two and like i, I know i know in the context ones mean like important where the the feature where the you know the things that matter it's not we're not saying individual one i'm just saying because of the storyline it would have made a lot of sense to go in the direction of togetherness rather than using that type of phraseology that's all i'm saying anyway uh we had sheamus against solo sokoa in the main event of smackdown you may say silver king how did this happen i'm happy to tell you uh, rich holland bumped into solo while walking backstage he made a remark and immediately ate a Samoan spike with Sokoa saying he's not in the mood. And I got to say, incredible sell of the spike by Ridge. He really yep. sold the shit out of that. After a break, Sheamus obviously wanted immediate retribution with a match. He cut a short promo on stage about it. Sokoa hit a Samoan drop at ringside when the match began. And the first piped in boo that I've heard in a while showed up here. Again, Lafayette. Sheamus had a great power lift white noise spot showing his strength, but it got no reaction Solo escaped Celtic Cross, but his spike pushed Sheamus outside. So then he urinagied him into the announce table and did a huge hip attack through the barricade, except he completely missed Sheamus. He just threw his body straight into the barricade. And then the match ended via referee stoppage with Sokoa winning again, even though Sheamus didn't get touched by that hip attack. So Solo tossed some trainers and dragged Sheamus about one foot before the Usos interrupted for an easy two-on-one superkick beatdown that ended the show. And then after a delay, they picked up their brother for another double superkick before ending with a double Uso splash. So their problem primarily is with Reigns, number one, Heyman, number two, and Solo, number three. Sokoa is their younger brother. Yet in this case, they don't just protect the baby face. They go so far as to beat the ever-loving shit out of their younger brother. That did not track for me at all. I found it to be completely inconsistent with the storyline. The finish to the match was smart to protect Sheamus, but they could have also just gone with a countout and made it way cleaner. The match itself was okay. The crowd was horrific and did not sell anything. And again, as a follow-up to last week's insanely hot bloodline implosion. This left a lot to be desired. As you can tell, I was massively disappointed by this entire segment. A lot of thoughts. First, the idea of Seamus just walking out onto the stage and to nobody and demanding of, of a fight. I liked that. It was instead of going to Adam Pierce and asking for a match or doing whatever, it was a little bit different. It added a little bit of intensity to what Seamus was trying to say. I'm not bothering going to the to the bosses, I'm just going to yell it out into the void and make it happen. And he did. So I, I, I liked that. Mm -hmm. The match itself was fine. I mean, I'll, I'll point this out later, but we had between SmackDown and Raw, we had Solo Sokoa and Dominic Mysterio in main events, which I think is um, both a, a testament to their pun not intended bloodlines, but also the, the the young talent that they have in this company. The the finish, you're right. I don't understand why it wasn't a countout. Like Solo was not, you know, incapacitated. Like he was just beating the crap out of Sheamus. Either that's a disqualification and he wins or Sheamus just can't fight and the referee stops it and Solo wins. It was not clear. You could have just done a countdown. The Usos coming in to me was, again, continuing what they made. They tried to uh, get clear in the opening segment, which mm -hmm. was the Usos are faces now. What do you do with the face? You rescue another baby face. And, and, and so that's what they're doing there. 
it was a it was a lot. Uh, you know, th- three kicks plus splashes that was a lot. But they do have beef with Solo. Remember, Solo Simone spiked Jimmy a couple of weeks ago. It's not like Solo's on the fence here. He's clearly on one side. Yeah, but even if you're, uh, so it, it, let me interrupt you briefly. Even if you're going to beat yeah. the shit out of him, the way this story has gone is okay. They're beating the shit out of him, and they see him kind of coming to. And they argue between each other. Hey, should we really do this? It's our younger brother. Man, we can't do this. Like we'll, they, they need to be conflicted about it. And they showed we'll no conflict there. whatsoever. We'll get there though. Cause I, we don't know. None of us think solo staying with Roman for all. No, but in this moment, we'll this is the there. beginning though. If, if you're ever going to be conflicted about hurting your brother, it's going to be at the beginning. Right. But you're not doing it two weeks before you're having the or one week, almost before you're having the, big match with him against him at, at the pay-per-view. I, I just, I get, I see what they were going for. It was a bit much. Mm-hmm. We could have tweaked some things and we didn't really talk about this here. And I don't really know if we need to, but there were reports that there were a lot of Vince changes to the show mm-hmm. um, matches and in, in, in various other things. And I don't know if that played a role or not, but um, to me, it was very, you're right. The bloodline civil war beginning technically was a thud. Mm-hmm. You didn't have Roman. And all the Usos did was like classic babyface stuff. So that's where we are coming out of the show. It was a main event that you could have substituted any baby faces and heels in all of those roles. And it could have been executed the exact same way without a second thought coming. Whereas for the vast majority of this storyline, matches included, there are elements within storytelling elements that are unique to the bloodline and the story that they're telling. Here, there was none of that. It was just yes. heel versus babyface created on a show and babyfaces saving another babyface. And again, it yes. could have been anyone doing it. That's my problem with it, that you have this high-end storyline. And look, we talk about this all the time, right? When Roman's not there, it's a valley. When Roman returns, it peaks. And it happens all the time. But this was an exceptionally low valley because I- even when Roman's not normally there, Chris, there's storytelling. And here, there just wasn't. None. And I'll, I'll add, shout out to Paul Heyman. When the Usos music hits in, in <laughs> solo facial turns, expression. Yeah. Paul Heyman <laughs> is right behind Solo, yeah. but off to the side. So he's in view of the camera with this big old grin on his face. And then like 15 seconds later, after Solo gets all those super kicks, camera cuts back to Paul Heyman and he's just like jaws on the floor. Just absolute terrific sell job by him. A guy who someone put it to me as like, Nobody has ever assumed they're on camera at all times like Paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is. And it just adds so much. So shout out to him for a great performance. Since you mentioned Vince McMahon, I wasn't going to go too much into it. I was I was going to mention it in parts, but let's have a quick conversation about it. So this is how the reporting goes. And I can confirm some of it and others other parts of it I cannot. So last Monday on Raw, there were reports that Vince meddled in the creative, but really more than anything else, changed the way the Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa opening to the show went. Originally, Ciampa was going to answer Rollins' open challenge. They were going to have a big match with Rollins ultimately winning. And then I presume Balor was going to attack him after the match. Instead, they focused on the attack and Ciampa ended up fighting Miz. That storyline is obviously now continuing. And the Balor attacks on Rollins not only continued in that show, but as planned, and this was planned already by Triple H, Uh, Continue Tuesday on NXT, which was really cool that they did Mm -hmm. that. 
reporting further stated that Vince completely or significantly changed SmackDown with three matches that were announced for the show not happening. So I can tell you straight up off the top here, I can confirm all of that. 100% accurate, okay? He did uh, come in with some changes to Raw. Triple H liked those changes and approved them and, and they did them. And it, I think the show turned out better because of it. And he did change all three of those matches on SmackDown. I don't know what the internal reaction was with Triple H and everyone else, whether they thought they were good ideas or didn't, but they all changed and SmackDown was clearly worse for it. We'll get into that in the next segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Finally, before Raw on Monday night, a report came out from PW Insider that Vince McMahon's fingerprints were going to be all over Raw and that there were going to be numerous changes. This I cannot confirm yet. I'll talk to my people later in the week and I'll have it in our Friday news post um, on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. But Chris, what I can tell you from watching Raw on Monday night, I didn't notice anything that was strange. And the booking of hour three in particular, if anything, had Triple H's hand, foot, facial, whatever prints that someone can make were all over hour three of Raw. So I did not find Monday to be a Vince McMahon episode by any means. Friday, I definitely did. And last Monday, the one change he made, I thought was a positive. Uh, what are your thoughts on the entire thing? Yeah, I, I, it's become very much shorthand to just say something I didn't like, Vince did it, or Vince is meddling, therefore it's automatically bad. It's Correct. not the case. There is stuff that Vince does well. There is stuff he does not well. There is stuff Triple H does not do well. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I just, I don't like when fans use it as a crutch of, oh, Vince is doing things, now everything sucks. Like, it's it's not, it's never that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't always know for sure if a match is changed, if an announced match is changed, we probably know what happened there and it, it'll eventually come out. So I just, you know, these things happen. We've really liked the Triple H era mm -hmm. more often than not. We would rather not have Vince changing decisions because things become inconsistent. The pacing gets off, but week to week, it just depends. And I, I don't think it's one thing or the other. I think this is the general sentiment. It's that. The Triple H booking, even if it's not perfect, which it's not, it has plenty of flaws. It has been such a breath of fresh air for the WWE product and WWE is succeeding more and more by the month, not just from a storytelling and TV entertainment standpoint, but box office, you know, tickets, um, yep. subscribers to Peacock, people watching the premium live events. Business is trending upward. So we see that happening as third party viewers and we say, if things are going so positively and they were going negatively under Vince McMahon, where we were frustrated at what we were getting on TV and matches were short and the wrong people were getting pushed and all this type of stuff, we don't want things to change. That does not mean that over the last whatever, however many years, Chris, 50 years, Vince McMahon is not a capable creative chief and hasn't had good ideas. He absolutely has. There's no question about this. And I think Vince McMahon tweaking a couple items on a higher level, for example, the Finn Balor, Seth Rollins situation, that can lead to a better product. Because again, the guy does have good ideas. It's when he gets, forget fingerprints, his fingers deep into something, like he's making focaccia bread, right? And he's really in there and meddling and getting all into the nooks and crannies and changing things at the last minute, changing scripts during the show, not delivering booked matches that had storyline relevance, We'll talk about one of those coming up. That is where the problem lies with Vince McMahon. So him being involved, not an issue. Him 
coming in, you know, at 6.30 p.m. and saying, I don't like these things that are happening, we're changing them. That is where the problem lies. I do believe we saw that on SmackDown. I'm not saying it happened at 6.30, but it happened during the day. And I don't believe we've seen that on Raw. And look, what have I been saying for the last month? Raw, for me, has been the far better show than SmackDown. But this week in particular, it was night and day. I thought it was two different products, honestly. Agree. Agree. All right. We got a lot of show left. Let's move on to segment two. You know it. You love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, now, most of what we are going to discuss from SmackDown and Raw this week will be contained in the WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate preview that's coming later, but we're going to talk about everything else right here in the good, the bad, and the ugly. We had a women's tag team title unification on SmackDown. Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, the WWE champions against Unholy Union, the NXT champions. Raquel Rodriguez, a Raw superstar, was ringside seemingly for no reason. The NXT champions dominated early until Rousey surprisingly hit a decent poison Rana. Alba Fire broke her food of clutch with a swanton bomb. Baszler escaped their finisher only for both heels to simultaneously tap out the NXT champions to unify the titles in nine minutes. After the bell, Ronda grabbed the mic and asked why Raquel was there. She said she wanted a rematch for the titles we never lost. That led to the surprise return of Liv Morgan to a really nice pop. One of the best things that the Lafayette crowd did the entire show. They stared down the champions and the champions eventually left. Now, I was kind of mixed on this. So Commentary spent a lot of time putting over Unholy Union, and the match story had them getting the majority of the offense. Huge positives. At the same time, half this match was during commercial break, so while fans did get to cheer, they never got like a hope spot that they really needed to get this team over. It needed like four more minutes. And then Raquel, okay, the live return was nice, but they're both raw superstars, so why not just wait until Monday to do this? Commentary even mentioned that the champions would defend on all three brands, so there was a reason for that to happen on Monday. This does get a good, Chris, but it definitely could have been better. It was good. I still feel like you're right. On Holy Union, there's a lot of potential there. We just haven't gotten it yet, not through the fault of their own. It's matches being on commercials. It's not getting deep promos about them, mm-hmm. but match was, was was good, enjoyable, good stuff. Uh, Raquel and Liv coming out furthers what I've been saying for a while, and that is that the roster split has been cracked ever since it happened and never really solidified itself. And now that's just continuing to happen. Glad that Liv is back. We were there was a lot of concern she'd be out for a long period of time, right as I think the two of them were becoming a good tag team. Mm-hmm. So excited to see them back. I, I assume we're not going down the Raquel Rhea thing that we teased last week now. Well, that's so. Yeah. So that's, but, but overall, definitely a positive, you know, these women's tag titles have been cursed, but hopefully we have some momentum here. So the Raquel Rhea thing, we are going to talk about later. Cause I do want to mention that, but my biggest concern coming out of this is what's next for unholy union, because we've seen women's tag teams, especially those who lose titles struggle to get TV time when they're not in the title picture. I'd like to see them actually get into a feud in relatively short order without delay. Now who that would be against on SmackDown. I have no idea, but Here's what I don't get coming out of this. If Liv only had a four or six week injury, 
why the hell were they forced to relinquish the titles? There have been far longer stretches with the champions not featured. And Unholy Union could have gotten that time instead with like Raquel on Raw wrestling singles until they went ahead and did this. But okay, look, they stripped the titles. If you're then going to put a women's tag team title match on Money in the Bank, which is happening, and we'll talk about that later, why would you not make the unification match mm-hmm. on a major show, by the way, featuring two European women in London, instead of doing it on TV, not on the London show, but one week before in Lafayette, Louisiana. It, to me, did not make a shred of sense for this match to be here when they were going to do a women's tag team title match at Money in the Bank. Agree. My only thought is they figure they're not big enough. Raquel and Liv are bigger stars, champions, so we want them to be featured. I I guess. I don't know. That is true, but in London, Alba Fire and Isla Dawn would have gotten an immense reaction. I promise you that. And it would have put in a lot of heel heat on Ronda. Yes, they would have looked like bigger heels. People would say, wow, this unholy union team, they actually matter, just like with Zelina Vega in Puerto Rico, how much that helped her. It would have been so much more beneficial to do this match in London. Even even if it was on SmackDown instead of Money in the Bank. It's just, I I didn't get it at all. Very poor planning from WWE. Uh, Rey Mysterio fought LA Knight on SmackDown. After getting hit with a 619 early, Knight caught a second attempt cold. After Ray landed on a flip, LA immediately caught him with blunt force trauma for the win in eight minutes. Knight went for the typical heel mask removal with Santos Escobar making the save. Now, this was originally going to be a triple threat with Escobar and Butch. This is what we mentioned in terms of a Vince McMahon change. It was one of those that changed. I would say it was probably for the better. I mean, look, LA Knight beat Rey Mysterio. Like, that's major. That's a big deal. It's a former world champion. I do wish they got a bit more time. But more than anything else, the match was sloppy as hell. It was not well wrestled. The mask stuff at the end turned me off because it's just so trite. And again, another situation in which Knight is on TV but doesn't talk. That should never, ever happen, especially right now when you're building to a major show and you're building him as a character. It does not make any sense. This gets a good because it was Knight over Mysterio and it was a nice matchup on TV, but this could have been way, way better. It's a light good, but it's, again, inexcusable that L.A. Knight does not talk when he's on your show. This He didn't talk on last week's. This is like three either. or four weeks that this has happened. He had to show up on Raw to cut a promo on Logan Paul, which was huge. It had more views on YouTube than Logan Paul's appearance did. L.A. Knight is huge right now, and they know this because they made L.A. Knight available to all kinds of interviews this week everybody's asking for him so like they're not he's he, he like they like him he beat Rey Mysterio like that's good but it really feels like they really don't want him to get over like a face at least right now so he's not going to do the catchphrases that everybody likes he's he's going to do typical trite heel stuff to Rey Mysterio and I just I'm not worried that he's going to get lost in the shuffle clearly they like him I just I just hope it they don't eventually lose him and what they have right now because he's going to be getting, I would expect, huge reaction in London. So we'll see how that goes. Were you just referring to everybody this week saying L.A. Knight? 
everybody's been talking about the megastar. And by oh, the way, like, dude, I wanted the re- I set you up to give the yeah. Like, this is the chemistry we need to work. Like, we've been I doing was, this show I for was, three years, and I, I laid I, I was it. Get I laid it up like a perfect alley oop, like that that image of, and I hate to say it because it's a team I absolutely despise, but that Dwayne Wade where he just threw it up in the air and LeBron came soaring through, and he just didn't catch it. Well, I was I was expecting the L.A. Knight part of it. I missed the yeah. I gave you the L.A. Knight part of it. Yeah, I was. I know. I was. I that's what that's the what lob was for the yeah. You, that's you, what got me. Off you totally. This but is like, a demerit. This is a vintage in, in demerit. Way, it is. Sorry. In, by the way, in all those interviews that L.A. Knight was doing, he was like a face in the sense that he's like, I was living in a car for a long time. Mm-hmm. I like people didn't believe that I could do this. Like he's got a great story, and so like you can see when they turn him face. That's the story you got to tell what, what he's been his real life story to get here is it, it's just, it's definitely going to definitely going to work. So uh, just look, I know he's a heel on whatever, but like Logan Paul's a bigger heel. This guy just go with it right now. Let him do the catch raises. He did. It. I, I watched a clip. It popped up on my YouTube algorithm of him on a, on a house show cutting a promo. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Crowd was, was into it. So everybody's saying L.A. night, yeah, and let's just make sure he gets to say that. You guys should know that as we were taping the show, Chris sent me a note. Hey, we should try to run through this section quick. That way we have enough time for the ultimate preview. Meanwhile, this guy's going on talking five minutes about L.A. night and misses the lob. That's two demerits now for you, not one. We're going two for vintage on this show. Let's keep going here. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura fought Ricochet in a very similar type of match on Raw. Bronson Reed sat ringside and gave a standing ovation when the faces hurt each other. So they decided... Let's just take this guy out. They combined to drill him with like six different kicks. And then the referee ejected Bronson Reed from ringside. Ricochet hit a standing shooting star press, but Nakamura got knees up on a springboard moonsault. Ricochet countered Kinshasa with recoil, then countered it again with a flurry of moves, including standing sliced bread. He ended with a shooting star press for the win. I was actually pretty surprised that Ricochet beat Shinsuke here, but he was heavily featured to the point that it seems like they're at least during the match going to tease him as the briefcase winner. Kind of strange to see Nakamura lose to Ricochet, but you have to remember the phase of Shinsuke's career right now. Also, I legitimately cannot remember previously seeing this exact type of sequence with like a heel at ringside, like we got with Reed, where like the heel doesn't get any interference in, gets his ass kicked, a bigger guy too, and then gets ejected without actually playing into the match. I thought it was really fun and inventive. This was real good. Yeah, this was good. It was fun. Uh, I like that you're building feuds going into Money in the Bank, which can continue after Money in the Bank as well. So I think there's it it makes you it gives you reason to care. None of us think Nakamura or Ricochet are going to win Money in the Bank. Um, And so but like you can have them do stuff that's fun and interesting that'll play into the match and then can continue afterwards. So I've enjoyed this as a very classic, like just mid card situation. Mm -hmm. It was good stuff. Charlotte Flair fought Lacey Evans on SmackDown. Charlotte won with the figure eight in two minutes. Asuka attacked during the submission after the bell and mocked the mock salutes that Flair did to Evans. So she didn't mock Charlotte. She mocked the salutes of the heel. She should have mocked the woo or something like that. It was weird. The case I can make for booking this match, Flair getting ring time before a title opportunity that she doesn't deserve opposite a legitimate heel. In theory, that should help her, given she's being forced into a really ill-fitting babyface role. The case against it, Bailey versus Shotzi, a legitimate storyline match with Money in the Bank implications, got bumped from the show, 
They didn't mention it, and they didn't even address it Monday on Raw. Also, this was two minutes. And let me tell you, this crowd did not give a single fuck about Charlotte, let alone want to cheer for her. Again, was that Lafayette? Or would this have been their reaction anywhere? The, the match was bad automatically due to the time. It was bad because of the work. And then when you combine it with the booking decision and the lack of any material benefit before it or after it, it downgrades it even further. This was an ugly and an absolute waste of time. Zero. I was going to give it point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I was going to give this an ugly too. I will say I like Charlotte doing the Andrade point. I like that they keep doing each other's stuff across mm-hmm. promotions. It's very, very cute. But this this felt like peak Vince replacement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Instead of Bailey versus Shotzi, which would have been an awesome match for in building the money in the bank and stuff. Nah, let's put Charlotte out there, make her a face. Oh, and heel will do classic heel stuff, and Charlotte wins and whatever, and nobody cares. And that's it's it, it's it's a tough position to put them in. Uh, it, it's an ugly Charlotte as a face uh, going into against Oscar. It's just it's not working. She's a heel. It just yeah, bad. It's it's really bad. And by the way, real quick on Lacey Evans. So they did all those vignettes right of her training with the Marines and all that. And I think our response was generally like we'll believe it when we see it. Like if it actually works, but. The vignettes were at least more serious and they were palatable. You could say, oh, they're going to do something with her. They're going to lean into the military stuff. This is going to work or this or this has a chance to work. Instead, she comes out as female 80s Sergeant Slaughter. And it's literally just his character, but a woman. That's it. And it's horrible. Like it's somehow... Is it the worst of all of her gimmicks? It might be. It may actually be the worst out of all of her gimmicks when it had a chance to be the best of all of them. Look, this is now three or four strikes and you only get three. And I'm not suggesting anyone lose their job because that's not what we do on this show. I don't believe in it in sports either, which we cover professionally. But at some point you have to look at this and say, what is the value of Lacey Evans? Because... She's a decent promo, but they don't let her talk. When she does talk, it's now Sergeant Slaughter bullshit. Her entire gimmick is a throwback to the 80s. She jobs out, despite being a very strong and large woman who's believable in the ring. None of it's working. And I don't have the answers anymore. I, there's nothing they can do with her that will make me care anymore. I I I, I do think she has talent. And, and the most, we, we, when she was sassy Southern Belle and then she gets pregnant with maybe Ric Flair's baby. And then ever since then, they just haven't figured out what to do. They've tried different things. It hasn't worked. They had something. There is something there, but it feels a lot like Baron Corbin, where it's like they just can't figure out something that's working. It's tough. And by the way, they teamed together against, uh, what was it, Becky Lynch and uh, Seth Rollins in that match, which, by the way, was a damn good match. That may, that may have been the, the last best thing. That both of them did in the ring. Baron Corbin had yeah. the bum-ass Corbin character, I liked which it. was good. I but liked that it. match, okay, with Becky taking the deep six, um, or maybe she took end of days. I don't I don't remember which one. End of days, I think yeah. it was. Uh, that was a banger match, mixed tag team match. And Lacey has done absolutely nothing of value since then. So get back to that. Like, make her 
serious and get away from this corny bullshit. But I just think it's a lost cause at this point. Uh, Bianca Belair met Adam Pierce backstage. He explained that her being ringside for the title match on SmackDown this coming Friday could cause problems because she would defend herself if provoked. Why wouldn't she? So Pierce barred her from ringside and asked her to trust him, saying she can meet the winner face to face. Belair scoffed and shot right back at him, pointing out that she already got screwed by him once. Hey now. Uh, Babyfaces battling against ridiculous management decisions to gain an edge in creative. That's a tale as old as time. But I would say so far so good with Bianca, including here. It all depends how they play it out next week. I presume it'll be an interference Oscar retains and they do a triple threat, um, whether that's for SummerSlam or in between, who knows. Yeah, no, I just, I, I like that they've continued this. Bianca, Adam Pierce, pretty good chemistry. Like, I, it, mm-hmm. it's been a consistent thing, and I'm like, I'm interested in it every time it happens. And Bianca continues to show some edge, show she's tired of putting up a lot of crap. And yeah, we'll see. I think the triple threat is the way to go here. I don't know when, uh, but I'm interested. I, not a ton here, but I mean, I would grade it the good. Natalia backstage on Raw said her biggest battle is not with Rhea Ripley, but in her own head. She said she is more fearful of giving up than losing. And while she has been shaken, she's still standing. Natty challenged Ripley for the title again next week, wanting revenge and promising her history in WWE would not be erased. Now, look, I'm not at all looking forward to a rematch, but it was a good promo by Natty. And I remain intrigued to see what they're actually going to do with her next. I wouldn't be surprised if she moves down to NXT and works with some of the youngsters down there. But I look, it takes a lot for me to actually remain interested in an Italia storyline in 2023, but they have me interested. So it's good. Same thing. Like, just we'll see where it goes. But like, it's it's something, you know, like we're, we're doing something here. And so I'm interested. I, I give it a good. And we have the Grayson Waller effect with Pretty Deadly. Waller announced the tag team title match will be on SmackDown in London. So this coming Friday. Uh, They got consistent light heat and even a shut up chant at one point. Deadly shared their championship pedigree and said they'd run the division for the next decade. Waller put them over as a heel would. And the gimmick was that they were the Iron Men of that gauntlet match, despite in reality, obviously not fighting until the end. They ran down all the teams until the Street Profits interrupted. And that obviously led to a match. We'll get to that in a moment. Like, Chris, you know, I love Waller. Okay, most people see the potential in him. I'm happy he's on the main roster. And he's being featured because that means they believe in him too. But we simply do not need the exact same segment every week. Now, this was the best that Waller has been, but he as a character is meaningless right now on the main roster. So forcing him into this role every week, it just doesn't accomplish anything. The guy needs to wrestle and impress people both physically and verbally, not play second fiddle to all of his guests one after another. And I had a criticism about this show in NXT where Waller would talk over all his guests and wouldn't let them get words out. They fixed it to their credit. He now lets them get all the words out, which is appropriate in an interview segment. But because of that, the segment does absolutely nothing for him. So what they've done for people who are not familiar with NXT is put a new wrestler in a big time segment every single week, except he's not getting over from it. And to me, that feels like a waste of time. Yeah, you're right. It it was better. It's gotten better with him not talking over everybody because he's not the focus of the show. It's not his storyline. That's what made this 
that's what made main roster Grayson Waller effect different than a lot of what he did in NXT, where sometimes he was involved, sometimes he wasn't. But he's not, he has nothing going on. He's not involved in any story. So, yes, the fact that he's getting to do this every other week means that they feel good about him. I just hope it doesn't mean they don't feel good about him being an actual day-to-day wrestler and that it's just, eh, we haven't figured anything out yet. Let's just do this for now. So segment was a good credit to the Cajun Dome, Louisiana crowd for chanting, shut up at pretty deadly in the segment. I think it worked. I think it ultimately figured it all out and I'm, we'll, we'll get into it in the preview, but I'm very curious as what the pretty deadly reaction is going to be in London. Um, But this was good. And I hope at some point we have something to do with Grayson Waller. Sure. So we got profits and deadly Montez Ford ripped off one of the bralettes and wore it before a tope, which popped the crowd. Angela Dawkins got the hot tag. Ford hit a rock bottom, but Dawkins got rolled over with deadly wrapping the loose bralette around his feet while they were on the ropes for the heel victory. The match was quality with a smart finish utilizing the gimmick that was removed earlier. The heels did have to win as they were the number one contenders. Now, look, fan reaction during the promo segment I just mentioned, it wasn't loud, but they did get heat. Whether the low volume, again, is because it was Lafayette or it would have been the same with any audience, who knows? I thought they did a fine job, but it did drag that opening segment probably 90 seconds too long and the match was solid. So I'm going with good across the board. I'm assuming that you're good works for this as well, uh, because I didn't grade the initial segment, but all the elements were right. I just thought it could have hit a little bit better. It was good. The Street Profits putting on those things that Pretty Dudley wear was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Um, No pun intended on that comment. (laughs) But uh, so it it was good. I mean, Street Profits are, again, they're kind of just not doing anything right now. So we'll see. But they this worked. This segment worked. It got Pretty Dudley over more as heels and made them feel like a bigger deal. So mission accomplished. Tommaso Ciampa and The Miz was set for Raw. Ciampa backstage said he turned on The Miz because Miz didn't say a word or send him a line the entire nine plus months he was out. Ciampa said he was warned that Miz was a user and with 275 days off, he questioned a lot, including why he was wearing neon green serving as Miz's lackey. I wish Ciampa had called and asked me because I have the exact answer to that question. Uh, Miz attacked Ciampa during his entrance, straight up murdering him outside with skull crushing finale at the bottom of the ramp to end it. This was a really nice way to extend it another week, but next week, I just want the match to happen. I want Ciampa to win and I want us to move on. This is a good first feud for him. It was good. Good promo, good explanation of everything. It all worked. Like I say, you said if he asked you the question, you'd have the answer. What, what, what was your answer? Vincent Kennedy McMahon. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> but again, I liked Champ and Miz together. I did. So, like, it wasn't a problem. But if you're saying why is that how he debuted, that's the reason why how he debuted. Yeah. Simple as that. Uh, Viking Raiders said in a taped promo they are focused on hurting Alpha Academy because Valhalla won't hear from their gods until they cause pain. Okay. Alpha Academy answered later in a live promo from the gym. With Chad Gable particularly angry, Maxine Dupree showed confidence, and Omis, Otis sorry, promised pure carnage. The Academy promo alone made this good. Extremely funny. I, I, I continue to like the three of them together. The coach gimmick is good. Uh, Maxine continues to have a say in Hey Now, and it works. So, good. So that, Chris, is the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's move on to our WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview, where we are going to break down every single match 
on this card, both what happened on Raw and SmackDown and our thoughts leading into the match. We'll make a prediction. And then at the very end, we will give a pre-show expectation grade for WWE Money in the Bank. Let's kick things off with that women's tag team championship match I mentioned earlier, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler defending their newly unified titles against Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. Now, this match was officially announced Saturday on that SmackDown lowdown show following the events of Friday's show. That led to us getting on Raw, Rousey against Rodriguez one-on-one. Morgan jumped on Baszler for a beatdown outside as Rousey trapped Rodriguez in a pinning combination to win in three minutes. Now, this made... Zero fucking sense. Okay, last Monday, one week ago, you had Raquel staring down Rhea Ripley as the presumptive challenger for the Women's World Championship at SummerSlam. Four days later, she's focused on the tag team titles again. Three days after that, she's losing clean to Ronda in three fucking minutes on Raw. And we have Liv, a massive babyface returning Friday instead of Monday, yet not getting a chance to speak on either show before Money in the Bank. Chris, this entire thing pissed me off. Block at zero! Yeah, I mean, we've seen these two put on a great match before, and you were hoping to get something like that. We very much didn't. It was clearly Twice. Just to set up the, it was clearly just to set up the tag team match. But also, like you said, the fact that she loses and loses so quickly and everything... If Ra- if Raquel and Liv lose the tag team title match, it's not like Raquel can just go back into the championship picture to try to do that as a singles wrestler because she just lost to somebody in three minutes. So, yeah, definitely we're not grading this. It's a bad, but it was rough. Well, yeah, there's no grades because this isn't that segment. It would have gotten one. I promise you that. And again, taking Raquel and being like, oh, clearly she's going to challenge to SummerSlam. And now she's losing to Rousey clean. And they're going to lose this title. I mean, look, our prediction, they're not going to unify the titles with Rousey and Baszler and then change them to Rodriguez and Morgan one week later. It's not going to happen. My biggest hope for this match is that it's quality. And I do think it will be. It's the second women's match on the show and the only one that has the title. Neither the uh, women's championship, the WWE Women's Championship, I'm getting the names right, or the Women's World Championship are going to be defended on the show. So this is the only title on the line at Money in the Bank, which means, by the way, Chris, now that I'm thinking about it, your women's Money in the Bank winner will not be able to cash in on the same show unless for some reason Rhea Ripley is like at ringside during the Dominic match and something happens or Asuka shows up for some reason to watch from the crowd or whatever the case. So we're not going to get a women's cash in on the show. I just realized that. But that, that, also mean, that also means I believe this will be the possibly the second longest someone holding the women's Money in the Bank briefcase because there's not a show on Monday. No, I'm sorry, there's not a show on Sunday either it monday night raw will be two days later which will automatically make it one of the longest reigning longest holding money in the bank briefcase we'll have to look that up because when carmella re-won the briefcase i think she had it for a period of time after that like a short period of time but right. carmella was along carmella the first carmella first second whatever you want to call it that, that's okay. the one that's the longest okay so this would be maybe the second yes possibly especially if someone from smackdown wins it you would maybe assume they're not going to cash it in until the following Friday. So that would definitely be the case. If it's Monday, we'd have to look at it. But yes, you're right to that point. Um, This may be one of the longest women's briefcase reigns that we'll have. But regardless, we're jumping ahead. Uh, The champions are retaining the titles here. I just hope we get a really good match and it gets plenty of time, more than anything else. Agree uh, Agree on all counts. 
All right. Uh, Cody Rhodes is going to fight Dominic Mysterio. There is actually a lot to talk about here. On Raw, Dom and Rhea Ripley opened the show to usual immense heat. So Ripley took the mic saying Dom would end Cody's momentum. Dom hid behind her as Cody entered, quoting Dr. Seuss and calling him a scared little boy. So the heels did exactly that. They walked away. Rhodes goaded them back with a free shot, only for Dom to mouth, fuck this, on the apron and dip again. Cody asked if Dom could live up to being even half of his father or whether he's just mommy's little boy. Pretty good segment that got the appropriate heat and cheers, but I didn't find it to be anything special. It didn't really enhance the storyline. Yeah, no, it was, again, it was continuing what we've done. Dominic continues to get those boos. I was curious because he came out, they, they skipped the entrance. He was just sitting, he was just standing in the ring when we start, but the boos came right away. That continues to be a great thing. It's continuing city to city and uh, it, it, it worked. Uh, so we had Dom against Akira Tozawa later in the show. You may say, Silver King, how did this happen? Well, let me tell you. Uh, Dom approached Adam Pierce, demanding a match against a big, strong guy so he could prove himself to Cody. Rhea whispered in his ear. They said they knew who they wanted to fight and they would tell Pierce later. So it, of course, ended up being Tazawa. So Tazawa hit a Shining Wizard, a really cool flying shoulder tackle, and a Darby Allen-style Tope Suicida. Then Rhea distracted him, giving him flashbacks to when they fought and she kicked his ass. That let Dom have a chance to trip him off the top rope and hit a frog splash to win in two minutes. Now, this is exactly what I expected. But at the same time, Chris, if Tazawa got a few more minutes to cook, they really could have gotten the crowd going behind him, sensing an upset because Dom is that big of a heel. And Tazawa really is exciting to watch in the ring. And to me, a five or six minute match where Tazawa has like a big hope spot pinfall is way more entertaining and beneficial for both of them than a two minute squash. It was a missed opportunity to actually do something with Tazawa and use Dom's heat to help someone else. But man, if they gave Tazawa like five minutes weekly on TV, five minutes, not saying six, eight, nine, ten, five every week on TV, and they gave him a little rub from a baby face, he would be fully over with the crowd. I completely agree. Nothing more to add other than to say that when Tazawa was distracted by Rhea outside the ring, I loved the way he sold it. It wasn't like he sees somebody and he starts yelling at them and he fake kicks and whatever. He just stopped in his tracks. And just like looked nervously at her and then kept going and things happened. It was just like a little different type of distraction reaction that I really appreciated that called back to Tazawa and Rhea mm-hmm. in the past. So that was just a really good little thing. It was indeed. So we also had Cody against Damian Priest. Now, this was a booked main event for the show. Cody cut his last go home promo before the match, admitting that Dom got under his skin, but he noted that he hadn't laid a finger on him yet. So he'll see what he's really made of at Money in the Bank. Most notable from this segment was that Cody's dog, Pharaoh, made his debut wearing a bandana backstage. It's a good dog, number one. Number two, he becomes the first animal to appear on both AEW and WWE. So that's history oh. in the making for Pharaoh Rhodes. Congratulations to him. Uh, Dom and Rhea came out after a few minutes when this match started. Rhodes had a cool hop to the middle rope for an avalanche arm drag. Priest came back with a headlock driver, but Rhodes hit a pedigree. Dom grabbed Cody's foot on a disaster kick during a distraction, letting Priest hit south of heaven. Then he distracted again for no reason, with Cody throwing Damien into Dom. Rhodes came back with the Cody cutter and crossroads for the win in 14 minutes. This was just a casual 3.75 star B-plus main event. Uh, It was one of three stellar hour three raw matches that we're about to discuss in this segment. Dom did one more hit and run on Cody at the end. 
as he was celebrating, as Cody was celebrating. And that was the final go-home moment for Raw into Money in the Bank. I thought it was definitely a worthy closing segment. Priest losing here wasn't great going into the ladder match, but it wasn't completely excused by the booking. Yeah, no, everything worked, made sense. Priest has been taking a lot of losses, you know, but I think he's a guy who can heat back up pretty much any time just by the look of him. So, uh, yeah, it was fine. Now, I do find this match, Cody against Dom, to be pretty predictable, right? And really the whole show, Money in the Bank, it doesn't seem like there's going to be that many upsets or surprises other than perhaps the two ladder matches themselves. But I do have like a booking concept here, which would really be awesome if they did it. And I I think people would be angry about it, but I wouldn't be. And that is the match is going on. There's a referee spot or something where there's a distraction. Brock Lesnar runs in from the crowd, absolutely annihilates Cody and Dom beats him. Now, I don't think that's going to happen primarily because we just got Cody and Brock and Cody kicked out of numerous like finishers and big moves only to lose the match because he was non-responsive to the Kimura lock. So he didn't actually get pinned or submit. So why are you going to have Brock interfere and then have him get pinned by Dom? That part of it doesn't compute. But if that happened, the heat on Lesnar and Dom would be historic. And Cody, no one would think twice about him losing the match. I don't think that's happening. My prediction is Cody beating Dom. But I would not be surprised if we see Brock Lesnar. And I certainly won't be surprised if we see a Monday night on Raw. I had the exact same thought, and it, it's what I want to happen. Because look, Cody losing at WrestleMania, what was the the idea as to why he didn't win and maybe he'll win next year? He has to go through adversity and come back from that. And what has happened since WrestleMania? He's mostly won. He had his arm broken and he lost a match valiantly. But other than that, Everything's going great for Cody Rhodes. He needs to actually have some adversity and lose some matches he shouldn't lose. Uh, and, and this would be a great place to do that. And it would set up the next thing. You got to pay to fly, fly Brock Lesnar all the way to London and his appearance fee and everything like that. But if Cody versus Brock at SummerSlam, which we're going to presume we get, is one of your big money matches, you know, I, I think that's worth it. So that's what I want to happen. I want Cody to lose a match to Dom and Dom can brag about that for the rest of time. It'll help Dom. It'll help Cody's mm-hmm. eventual story. Cause what is Cody doing right now? He's just, he's feuding with Rey Mysterio's son. It's like, he doesn't need a win here. He's fine. And so, um, that's what I want to happen. And that, I'm going to say that happens too. I'm just, you know, we, we, we often pick the same thing too many times on here. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Dominic wins. That's the pick. Sure. Uh, we have an intercontinental championship match, Gunther defending against Matt Riddle. So Riddle challenged for this match on social media, and then he backed it up on Raw with Ludwig Kaiser confronting him. Riddle took the first shot, but after a few seconds, Gunther hit him from behind, then pinned and stomped on his injured ankle, leaving him in agony. We got enough build for this over the prior weeks that it was perfectly fine to finalize it Monday. I'm just not sure they could have done much more than what we got on this show. And we're going to go and talk about the rest of that right now. So first, we had Gunther against Sami Zayn, which wound up booked after a backstage segment where the faces stood up for Riddle after his attack. KO had a hysterical moment where he didn't understand why they were still mad at Imperium. And Sami reminded him that they're getting Riddle's back. And KO's like, do we like Riddle? And Sami's like, yeah, it was great (laughs) booking. 
really freaking funny. Now, this match was also great booking. I just wish it was promoted. Giovanni Vinci entered on crutches after two minutes. Gunther dominated, but Sammy had a great sunset flip powerbomb off the top rope. Zayn escaped a rear naked choke for a great blue thunderbomb. Sammy ate a massive chop flying off the top rope for a false finish. And then he ate Gunther's finishing splash for another false ending. Owens and Kaiser battled outside with Zayn hitting Gunther with a tope con hero. Sammy then hit an exploder, but Kaiser distracted. Vinci hit Sammy with the crutch and Gunther nailed the powerbomb to win in 13 minutes. KO attacked one on two after the bell. Riddle hobbled down, killed Vinci with a knee like obliterated him. If his head was knocked off his body, I would not have been surprised by it. And then he beat all the heels with a crutch. KO then hit a stunner on Kaiser to end the entire thing. And straight up, holy shit, was this a banger. Not just the match, the segment as a whole, four stars A minus for the match, only because of the interference, it would have gone higher. Straight up, this was awesome. Great television. It's almost like Gunther saw Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay from Sunday, got angry and said, fuck it, I have a TV match. I'll show them best I can. Yeah, no, everything was great about that. We got some real big time banger matches on Raw. We'll get uh, some of them later on as well. Um, Everything worked there. The only thing I'd add is that in the backstage segment with Kevin uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Imperium, something I think could definitely be a drop for the show, and that is Kevin Owens yelling that he he doesn't learn his lesson. He didn't learn from last week. He doesn't learn. He doesn't learn. (laughs) I think I think we can we can use that in the future as well. Great, great, funny stuff from Kevin Owens. Good stuff all around. There's two drops we need. That I'll take, I'll cut, I'll add it to the show. We also need some type of song or intro for all of these ultimate preview segments. So if anyone out there has an idea on something that we can use, whether it's wrestling related or not, obviously some of our music here is not wrestling related, feel free to drop it at Getting Overcast on Twitter, tweet or DM or gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Now, Chris or anyone listening, I'm not sure if you've ever seen Gunther versus Matt Riddle before. They've wrestled in numerous promotions, including Evolve. And you can see that on Peacock, obviously, it would be Walter versus Matt Riddle. But they absolutely go wild on each other when they fight. Freaking incredible matches. So this is absolutely going to bang. And I promise you, we are going to get what we want to see. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Now, I will say, if this had a complete build and a deeper storyline, I could actually see Riddle ending Gunther's reign. He's more than legitimate enough in the ring and super over as a babyface. But with a short build and a lacking story, it just really wouldn't make sense to do it unless they want to end the 380-day reign here. And the only reason they would do that is if they don't want Gunther passing Randy Savage because SummerSlam is five days after Savage's record. And obviously Honky Tonk is still pretty far in the distance. Now, this should be a phenomenal match. It has a legitimate chance to steal the entire show. But I will go with Gunther retaining the title for those reasons. Riddle's ankle injury, I assume that was built in to excuse his loss. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Riddle versus Gunther or Walter. So that has me. Oh my God, you have to see it. So I am encouraged because before you said that I was not too into this and I just kept wondering why we're not doing Guther versus Sheamus and right. you know, like, like, like we had hoped way back even before WrestleMania. Um, and I'm just, I'm not a big riddle guy. So I'm optimistic now that you're telling me this, but 
the pick is Gunther as well. Uh, yeah, Honky Talks Man is Honky Talk Man's record is 554 days. Gunther is right around 380-ish, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, next up is Don uh, Don Murkow at 385. Randy Savage at 414. So Riddle against Walter, uh, the one that should be on Peacock or their, the the singles match that should be on Peacock is from Evolve 97. So you're going to go and that's not the year. That's just the number of it. Um, but they also fought in total five times in 2017. Four of those matches or sorry, three of those matches were on progress. And I don't buy into like the cage match ratings. I have issues with all of that. But these are the ratings for those three matches from progress on cage match. 8.57. So you're talking about 4.5 star or higher matches based on these people's uh, opinion of them wrestling. And I'm telling you, I've seen, I don't think I've seen all of them. I've seen at least three of those four and they are straight up bangers. So again, Riddle, Walter, uh, Evolve 97 should be on Peacock. The progress ones, I have to believe you could find them on YouTube or somewhere else, but I highly suggest watching those matches. Um, this is just going to bang. I, I I would be shocked, just as shocked as I was with Brian Danielson and Kazuchika Okada. I would be shocked if this is anything other than great. Let me put it that way. Uh, let's move, Chris, to the women's money in the bank match. Becky Lynch, Zoe Stark, Trish Stratus, Bailey, Eosky, and Zelina Vega all will be contending. That's six women. On Raw, we had a Money in the Bank Summit. Bailey kicked Corey Graves out of the ring to take over MC ceremonies. She talked shit. EO gave her the death stare. Zelina shined on the mic. Becky got consistent chance throughout. Trish was okay, but when she called out Becky, Lynch threw a haymaker and the brawl began. Zelina smacked EO with the chancleta, but Sky hit a huge springboard moonsault outside to erase the women, and Becky climbed the ladder, unhooking the briefcase to end the segment. Ripley later approached Lynch saying she better hope she doesn't win the briefcase. Becky countered that she defended her title weekly in the main event of Raw while Rhea has become a side piece with the championship to Dominic. We get one of these in-ring segments every year. We get two this year and they didn't exactly do anything I would say to raise the rent for the match, but it's an extremely solid field and we did get tastes of what we will get in the match itself. I'd say it was successful if unspectacular overall. Now that said, Chris, the backstage segment with Becky and Rhea, that was fantastic. And perhaps that's the reason plans changed with Raquel because maybe they're going with them for SummerSlam. Though I gotta tell you, Becky and Rhea, that's a WrestleMania night one main event. That's not necessarily a SummerSlam match. Yeah, well, first off, I think we can say Becky climbing up the ladder on raw to bring down the briefcase guarantees that she is not winning the briefcase on the show mm -hmm. as is tradition when this ever happens, but it's Becky Lynch. She doesn't need to win the briefcase to get a title shot. Right. She can fight Rhea Ripley at SummerSlam regardless of what happens. So we'll see. I think this is a very, very solid field for the women's money in the bank. You've got some former champions. You've got a legend. You've got some, uh, some, um, lesser known up and coming people. I think it's a really good mix for this match. So I think they did a good job with it. I agree. Now we always do this by process of elimination when we make our predictions. So let's go ahead and do that. I'll start and you can go after. So the six women again, Becky, Zoe, Trish, Bailey, EO, and Zelina right off the bat, you know, Zelina had her moment at backlash. It was great. And she's over and I love it. She's not winning women's money in the bank, taking her out. Uh, if you have Zoe and Trish in the same match and Zoe is supposed to be there to support Trish and you're not breaking them up, then if anything, she would help Trish win 
you wouldn't have Zoe win. So I take her out. Uh, Bailey and Io Sky are really interesting, the dynamic, because they could break up in this match and cost each other the briefcase. That is something uh, that could happen. But between the two, Bailey has already won. I don't really see a need for her to win again. She was also just in an extended title picture with Bianca Belair over on Raw. So I'm going to eliminate Bailey. That leaves me with a final three of Becky, Trish Stratus, and Io Sky. Now, out of those three, the point you just made stands. Becky does not need to win women's Money in the Bank to get title matches. That said, she is the most over woman in the entire match, and she's never won. So you would think like, hey, Becky should probably win a Money in the Bank at some point. Like, you know, she should win a Royal Rumble, which she did, and she should win a Money in the Bank, and she should win an Elimination Chamber. Like, these are all things that your top babyface really in your entire division in the women's division should win. But I just don't really feel like this is her year. So my final two, and this may surprise them, are EO and Trish. I think Trish with the briefcase, lording it over people, she doesn't have to wrestle all the time, but it gives her a reason to inject herself into a title situation. It gives her a reason to win a championship without you know, beating someone clean and hurting them. She gets to win it by like screwing them over. Also, the Money in the Bank briefcase is always not necessarily better on a heel, but when a heel has it, they're more treacherous with the entire thing. So I think there's a great case for Trish to win, and I would not at all be surprised if she does. I think it would make all the sense in the world for her to win the briefcase and that to kind of transpire with a title reign, and it would lead potentially to a Royal Rumble or WrestleMania match. However, you would have to be blind to not see the response that EO Sky got at Backlash. And she is the one woman in this entire match who could legitimately be elevated with the briefcase. So if Triple H still has the book and maybe that's at question right now, and look, maybe this will get changed, but EO is the one who needs it the most, who can benefit from it the most. Bailey can be jealous of her. That can lead to their breakup. So for all of those reasons, I know I went long on this, Chris, but my pick is EO Sky to win women's money in the bank. No, that's... Fine, you went law because you said every single thing that I agree with. Um, <laughs> well, I took I, the thunder. I would, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I, I would add, I, I would give Zelina a shot. I, I do think she's in the mix, but I do think EO and Trish are the two most likely. The other part of that is we have two heel champions right now. Asuka's feuding with two different people at one at one time. And Rhea is a champion who I don't think is going to lose for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And Trish cashing in on Rhea wouldn't really make any sense. So you're really just looking at the one belt. So I'm going with EO Sky as well for everything that you said. Um, I do think Zelina's got a shot, but you laid everything out perfectly. That's my pick as well. Well, you did make a good point that I didn't, which is even though the briefcase holder can cash in on any brand and any title they want, it does make more sense to cash in on the brand that you're currently on, especially coming right out of the WWE draft. And Rhea Ripley losing the title via cash in this quickly after winning it and not having any legitimate feuds with it, it would be a huge disappointment. So you have Asuka on the other side and whether she loses to Charlotte or doesn't, um, her dropping the title via cash in, it does, it's not gonna hurt her. She's not been built up enough. She's not a focal point of what they're doing with the women, even though she is champion, and I'm very happy that she's champion. So it would make more sense for someone on SmackDown to win, and based on the three women in SmackDown, EO makes by far the most sense over Bailey and Zelina. 
Yes. And again, as we said earlier, this will most likely be the second, I think second, maybe third longest holding of the women's briefcase by nature of not having a women's title match on this thing and it being two days before Raw, which is remarkable. This need, whoever wins this, they need to hold the briefcase yes. for a long time. The women's briefcase has been just, just, just horribly booked because you're always cashing in on the show or the day after the show every single time. And 90% of the time, it feels like they're cashing in on Charlotte. Mm -hmm. So please hold this out for a while. You can do a lot with it. Let's see if they do that. To what you said, second or third longest, it has a chance to be the longest, obviously. They can just not cash it in. But by virtue of there not being women's title matches for the singles titles on the show, it's almost guaranteed to at least be the second yes. longest, to your point. Um, I didn't, you know, I've done this um, podcasting and, and doing previews for Money in the Bank for years now, five, six years. And I, I do the same thing on every show. And I actually forgot, but unfortunately you reminded me. So I need to do it here as well because it's a standard operating procedure for the Silver King whenever we talk about money in the bank. And that is reminding all of you great listeners the purpose of this briefcase. It is multiple purpose. One of them, okay, is to create storytelling and reasons to feature a talent without a title. There is not a women's mid-card title in WWE, but even for the men, it creates a device by which someone can be a significant part of creative without actually holding a title. It also creates the opportunity to elevate a talent that has not been champion or perhaps has been a long time between championships. And it has the opportunity to create storytelling elements across your television shows that naturally bring excitement. The idea that someone at any time has this briefcase and can cash in on a champion. Any match that Rhea Ripley wins and she gets hurt during or Asuka or whomever across the two shows, there is the not only the threat of EO Sky or whoever wins the briefcase showing up and actually teasing a cash-in, but just the thought in the back of your mind that it could happen at any time. And when WWE doesn't put the briefcase on the right person, Otis, for example, Brock Lesnar, for example, Braun Strowman, for example, or is in a situation, did Braun Strowman even win this or did I just make that up out of thin air? I, I don't know. I don't think Braun Strowman ever won. Yeah, I think I just made that up out of... Th I think I just completely made that up. But regardless, the other two I mentioned... Brock, Brock, Brock Lesnar won it, yeah. Yeah, Brock cashed in on Braun at a Saudi Arabia show, I think is what it was. I think that's right. He hit him over the head with the briefcase and then won the match. That's probably how I got it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Braun Strowman won 2018 uh, Money in the Bank. Okay. Yep. So, okay, yeah, there did. you go. I, I knew... I, I, a little uh, Barry Horowitz for myself. I knew I didn't get that wrong. Or I... Hoped I didn't get that wrong, I should say. Regardless, it's breaking up my point here. Um, when you put it on the right person, okay, and you allow it to exist for a lengthy period of time, not weeks, we're talking multiple months up to a year, it gives the opportunity to create storytelling elements and get the person over without a title. And my hope upon all hopes is no matter who wins these briefcases, that WWE gets that right. They were kind of on the right path with Theory, the problem with him was that he should never have been in the match in the first place, and he held the United States Championship for a period of time, I think either simultaneously or right before it, whatever the case. Um, they almost had it right with Theory. The problem was Roman Reigns was the only champion, and he could never cash it in on him, so they did the convoluted bullshit. They almost got it right. They didn't. They need to go back to getting this right and treating the Money in the Bank briefcases 
exactly how they should be treated. I'll say this. What is the maybe the best example of that? I think what the one of the most, I mean, Seth the most memorable cancel can't cash in was Dolph Ziggler. Yes, Dolph. Day yes. after the day after WrestleMania 28. He had held that for a very long time. He had a feud with John Cena over it where John Cena could have won it from him. AJ Lee turned on Cena, mm-hmm. joined with Ziggler and Ziggler eventually wins, has the big moment. Crowd goes crazy. You built a new star. He ended up getting hurt. It didn't work out. We know that. But like that is the exact type of thing money in the bank is supposed to be for. Yeah, you actually I was saying Seth Rollins and you cut me off appropriately because you are correct. Dolph Ziggler is the paradigm for how the money in the bank briefcase should be treated. Rollins a close second. It it was great for Mm -hmm. him. It healed him up. Uh, And then obviously the cash in was incredible at WrestleMania. You can argue whether the moment of Rollins cashing in plus the surprise or just that insane crowd reaction that Dolph got. You can argue which one was better, um, but those are one and two in whatever order. And for me, Dolph is number one, you're right. Uh, That Money in the Bank briefcase reign, cash in, the purpose behind it, the way they utilized it, it was perfect. Now, unfortunate stuff happened, like you pointed out, and Ziggler never really became the main eventer that I thought he could be, but that is exactly, Chris, how you do Money in the Bank. So with that, let's get to the men's match. Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura, Damian Priest, L.A. Knight, Santos Escobar, Butch, and Logan Paul making it a seven-man match. Let me be crystal clear because there's really no build that we have to, to go over. So let me just talk about this. If for some reason, Chris, L.A. Knight does not win Money in the Bank, which is possible. There's seven people in the match he absolutely must make a full face turn and beat the man I just mentioned, Austin Theory, for the United States Championship at SummerSlam. It would be a great way to transition the title and a perfect way to elevate Knight outside of the world title picture. Now, that said, let's go ahead and do what I just did for the women and break down the candidates and whether it makes sense for them to win money in the bank. Process of elimination. It's great that Butch is in the match, Chris. Uh, uh, English guy in there in London, fantastic. He's not winning. Let's just be completely candid about that. I also don't see Shinsuke Nakamura winning, even though he'd get an incredible reaction in Europe. You theoretically don't necessarily put it on an older guy. Santos Escobar, again, someone I would love to get the opportunity, get the push with the money in the bank. He's got a good thing going right now with LWO. It doesn't seem like they are ready to elevate him into that role. And that leaves me, Chris, with a final four of Ricochet, Damian Priest, LA Knight, and Logan Paul. And Logan being added to this match a couple of weeks ago, it really did kind of throw me for a loop in saying like, man, them putting it on him, it would irritate a lot of people in the IWC, but it would make so much sense from a promotional standpoint And it wouldn't even be that odd because Logan can completely hold his own in this match. It's believable for him to cash in on Seth Rollins. And even if he was to beat Rollins, you could build that up as a feud where Rollins takes the title back at Royal Rumble or something like that, depending when the cash in actually happens. But because of the final four that I just gave you, I'm going to eliminate Logan Paul for this reason. I think he and Ricochet get into it in this match, cost one another the briefcase, and and that ends up leading to a perfect SummerSlam match where Logan can actually beat Ricochet. 
We just talked about Ricochet beating Nakamura on Raw. It seems like they're building him up. I think they're building him up not for Money in the Bank, but for Logan Paul. And that Bronson Reed storyline could play into it as well because Ricochet beating Bronson could help elevate him too. So that eliminates Logan and it eliminates Ricochet. That leaves me with Damian Priest and L.A. Knight. And I think if you are watching WWE programming right now and you are seeing the responses that L.A. Knight is getting and you don't put the briefcase on him, again, I told you the other option is have him beat Theory for the U.S. title, but I don't see how you don't go with Knight. If Finn Balor was champion on Raw, then I would go ahead and pick Damian Priest. Also because it would make a lot of sense to have the briefcase on different brands. But Balor is not champion. Seth Rollins is, and I think most expect him to retain the title. And if memory serves, Rollins already fought Priest in that open challenge. So that would be kind of difficult to kind of go back to that. So my pick, my prediction is going to be LA Knight, but I do believe there is a legitimate chance that Damian Priest wins. That's interesting. I, I have uh, very different thoughts on that. I think the Logan Paul ricochet thing, like it, it makes sense, but I don't think you're adding Logan Paul to this match kind of after the fact, if you're not, if he's not winning it, just like Austin theory got added, added to the match out of nowhere, ends up winning it. Brock Lesnar shows up at the end oh, of the match. So frustrating. Ends up winning it. And look, Logan Paul would, I think would be a good winner, like business wise. He is someone who we know can go. He is a multimedia star. He can talk. He will put that briefcase everywhere he goes and get, get a lot of eyeballs on a lot of different things, mm -hmm. which is all a positive. And it like it makes sense. He's someone who can have it. And then eventually you think he'll cash in on Seth Rollins because they had a feud at WrestleMania. And like, it makes perfect sense. So like Logan Paul is my pick, but what I want to happen is LA Knight for mm -hmm. everything that we've been saying on this podcast for weeks, months, been a fan of this guy forever. He is so hot right now. Like I mentioned, his promo on Logan Paul has more views than Logan Paul's appearance. That mm -hmm. thing is going everywhere. I just worried the fact that we've gone like two or three SmackDowns in a row where he's not even cutting promos is a sense that like we like this guy, but he's not the guy. For he did just yet. beat Rey Mysterio on Friday. He did, but he didn't cut a promo about I know, it at all. I know, I know. And, and also that was a match that was changed, you know, mm -hmm. uh, as well, uh, a Vince situation. So look, look, if LA Knight wins, I'm going to go nuts. London's going to go nuts. This guy's going to have so many people saying his name, doing Yaz uh, on this show. That is my hope. I think every wrestling fan wants it. I just, it, it's what I thought was going to happen until Logan Paul got put in the match. So, you know, prayer hands up, up in the air. Everybody give LA Knight your energy for him to win this match because I think it would be an incredible moment. But my pick has to be Logan Paul. So my problem with Logan Paul winning is not Logan Paul winning. Like, let me make that clear. Mm -hmm. He's, it's kayfabe, right? This is, this is not reality. And he's just as deserving. Yes, all these guys have put in the work and grinded and, and they're on TV every week and he's not, I get all of that, okay? But he comes in, he raises the rent, he brings attention to WWE. This is a money-making business. He makes them money and he gets them a lot of promotion. WWE's 1849 demo has gone up significantly and people like Logan Paul and Bad Bunny are significant reasons why. Not because 
people tune in just for their matches, but when they tune in for their matches, they're watching the product and saying, oh, you know what? This is pretty freaking entertaining. I'm going to keep watching it. So putting the briefcase on Logan Paul, having it in the background of his podcast show, uh, Impulsive, uh, seeing him carry it around possibly to events or doing this or doing that, those are all massive benefits of him holding the briefcase. As is the fact that he's not on TV every week, so when he does show up, you're like, holy shit, is he about to cash in because he has the money in the bank briefcase? But it's that last point that is also problematic for me. He's not on TV every week and he's not on TV every month. So he's there so infrequently that if you did give him the briefcase, you're not utilizing one of those key tenants that I mentioned of money in the bank, which is utilizing it to elevate a person as a consistent storytelling device on television. This would be the opposite. It would be an inconsistent storytelling device on television. And even though it would elevate Logan Paul in kayfabe, showing that he has real bona fides as a wrestler, it doesn't actually elevate him in reality because he's already a bigger star than anyone else in this match. So that is where my problem with him winning would be. I wouldn't criticize it. I wouldn't shit on it. It's something that I accept as a possibility. I just don't think they're going in that direction. Does that make sense? Let me, it, it does. No, okay. the point about not being on TV makes total sense. Like I said, it, there are, you, you make fair points. Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Within two years, do you think Logan Paul will have won a WWE World Championship? <sighs> There's two factors that um, I would need to know in order to answer that question. By the way, he is 28 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two factors. Uh, one, who is in control of creative? If Vince is in control of creative, I think it's almost definitely going to happen. If Triple H maintains his role, even if Vince kind of has his fingers in it, for lack of a better term, um, I would put it at 40%. Because he's legit, man. Like, yes, he rehearses his matches and all that, but the guy can cut promos puts butts in seats, and he can freaking wrestle. He just can. He's done it against big-ass names, man. He fought Roman Reigns, and I forgot what I gave it, but like 4.5-star match. You know how many people have fought Roman Reigns and not given him matches of that quality? Like, it, it's freaking insane. So I think it should be a no-doubter that Logan Paul wins a title in WWE. I'd love to see him as a tag team champion. Or... I don't want to say intercontinental, a United States champion. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sticking with world champion. I know, I know, I, just I know. I'm answering your question if if, if, Because I think he will be. And whether or not I want to, I think he will be. And the way, in terms of, I look at the vehicles to get there, you don't want him winning. A, I mean, we don't want him winning a Royal Rumble and going to main event no. WrestleMania. No. That might happen. But in, in, in terms of like the ways to do it for a guy who's not going to be around all the time. Money in the bank is the best way. Yeah. This is probably the best way to do that. And Seth, the champion, and then Logan Paul will then have the new belt that you're trying to get more attention on as well. And maybe he loses it, you know, that's a Royal Rumble or something like that, or, or holds it for a couple months, maybe. So I just think of like, if that's something that's going to happen, and I think it may be, you know, he, again, he's really, really good at this. It would make it would make a lot of sense to do it. Money in the Bank is a very, very easy vehicle to get there. 
It is. And look, it's set up on the show, right? Like Seth fights, you would presume later in the show. It's a it's a world heavyweight championship. The only one on the show because Roman is not defending his title once again. Um, so you would think like Logan could win and literally cash in this night. The problem is, man, Rollins, they just introduced the title and Rollins just won the title. So like maybe Logan would do the cash in at SummerSlam, right? So Rollins defends it for another month. He has like a three month reign. Logan cashes in. Then he holds it from basically August through January, but that's an entire summer with a guy who's, again, here's the other problem, Chris, okay, with him. We talked about him not being on TV with the briefcase. He won't be on TV with the championship. And we already have a guy who's not on TV with the championship. This is supposed to be a workhorse title. Let's not forget that. So I'm not saying it can't happen. It's just, it goes against what WWE just established with this championship, that unlike Roman Reigns, this guy is going to be on TV every week, whether it's Rollins, whether it's Finn Balor, Gunther eventually, whomever. That flies in the face, Chris, of the way they've been promoting this championship. Yeah, and we'll see. If he wins, we'll talk about more scenarios moving forward, or maybe he cashes in on the show. I don't know. I My guess is that Seth Finn opens the show, but we'll see, and I guess we'll, we'll get to that match. Uh, I would assume one of the Money in the Bank matches open the show. Okay. Yeah, that's where I would go with it. Uh, okay, World Heavyweight Championship. Speaking of, Seth Rollins against Finn Balor. Now, Balor on Raw got a dark, extended promo package saying the guy who beat Rollins seven years ago is gone. This guy is much worse. He pointed out how Rollins laughed in his face after he relinquished the universal title. They showed a clip. I didn't remember that happened, so that's pretty cool. Uh, that showed how that is exactly what made him bitter at Rollins. Meanwhile, Balor said, Rollins seemingly has it all, so Balor wants vengeance and the World Heavyweight Championship. He promised to take back everything that was stolen from him with Rollins only hearing ringing in his ears instead of the fans singing his song. This was excellent. Like, best presentation of Balor on the main roster in years. Completely believable, tons of continuity, and he just looked like an absolute badass in this video package. I wish we actually had time to replay the entire thing, because I shit you not, this promo alone made me want Balor to beat Rollins for the title. <laughs> yeah, same, same thing here. Exactly. I watched that. I had totally forgotten that when Finn relinquished the universal title Seth came out and laughed in his face about it I had totally forgotten that such a great callback to do that this is the promo I ex I think we expected Balor to cut two or three weeks ago when he got drowned out by the fans who were wouldn't stop singing Seth Rollins song and I said then he's either gonna cut it again or they're gonna do it in a video package and that's what they did they did it in a video package and it everything he said made sense and you're you understand why there's so much hatred in his heart. Like mm -hmm. those are the best villains, so to speak, is the ones who either have a point or like you do feel sympathy for them. And that's what Finn has. This was exquisitely well done. It was. And by the way, this was actually taped to air last week. So they delayed it because of the Balor attacks that they decided to do. So Rollins hit the ring next right after this and gave a shout out to Carmelo Hayes, who was in the crowd for getting his back on NXT last week. Fans broke out, and I gotta tell you, a decently loud NXT chant. And Rollins promoted the title match this Tuesday before daring Balor to come finish the job after all of his attacks last week. Balor didn't show, so Rollins said, hey, you're smart. He put over Finn as, you know, really good and capable, but said that at their best, 
He, Rollins, is better. Balor then actually attacked out of the crowd with a chair. He got up on Rollins by attacking the ribs, but when he went to grab a new chair outside, Mello stole it from Balor. That allowed Rollins to hit a huge clothesline. Uh, Balor went right over the barricade and ran away. This was another excellent segment. I did wish Seth like dapped up Mello afterward. He didn't do that. Minor mistake. More importantly, this put a really nice go-home bow on the build for what should be a tremendous title match between these two guys. Yes, ter- terrific stuff. Great job all around. I like that it's it's both promoting NXT while being a part of this story. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a, it's a great way to do everything. There was more though because Balor versus Hayes was shockingly booked for Raw. Not only that, Mello got a backstage promo saying, hey, I was invited to Raw by Seth, and sometimes you just have to take shots to make shots. He promised, I won't miss. To be that strong and confident on your first ever main roster promo, anyone who listens to the NXT knows it, the NXT show, I should say, sorry, knows I've said this. I'm going to say it again. Mello has it. Not just that. You have it. You couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't sell it if you wanted to. You are it. I love that sound drop. We don't get to play it enough. Uh, Mello in the match hit his backward springboard leg drop after Balor got a ton of offense, including a gut check, his old New Japan finisher. Mello also hit a similar style flying DDT backwards off the ropes in spectacular fashion. Mello ultimately ate a shotgun dropkick and coup de gras to lose in 10 minutes. Now, it is fair to question having the NXT champion lose clean especially one night before he defends the title against Baron Corbin. But the positives of Hayes having this kind of performance live on Raw seriously outweighed any negatives here. This was awesome promotion from NXT. It was an awesome look for Balor. Mello looked great. And as the final go-home segment, this was just a ah, chef's kiss. Yep, great stuff. Even Hayes losing, like, it's fine. Like, ultimately... He looked good. Balor got a important elevation going into this match. I got no problems with anything. It was great stuff. Now, I think we probably agree. I am putting words in your mouth that taking the title off Rollins after about a month is not the move. But the build for Balor here with Rollins rib injury and everything that has transpired the last few weeks Man, it's been tremendous. Like, I know it's an insanely quick change for an inaugural title reign. But if it was to happen, I'm just telling you right now, I would be 1,000% okay with it. The way they have built it over the last two weeks, the way they have elevated Balor into this character as a champion, it would make the chase for Rollins to win the title back from him at, let's say, Royal Rumble, really exciting. It would also let Judgment Day hold the top two titles on Raw, which is super enticing. Ultimately, I just think the prediction has to be Rollins retaining. He's only been champion for a month. He's doing great with the title. He's super over. And there's plenty more heels on Raw for him to go after over the ensuing months, including Gunther, if and when he drops the Intercontinental title. That could be the WrestleMania plan. I'm not sure. I don't love the idea of there being three title matches on this show, which is a big show in London, and picking retentions in all of them. And I really do believe there is a case to be made for Balor winning the title here. But I just think I have to go with Rollins. I think Rollins walks out again, still the world heavyweight champion. I agree because of what this title was meant to represent. 
Seth is the natural guy to defend it in NXT, to defend it on a Raw, to do some things. To only have done that for, for a month is, is is tough. But also, like, if Finn was ever to get his redemption moment to finally get back to where he was seven years ago, and we can finally say, like, all right, we, we, we don't have to define Finn as the guy who had the universe, the first universal champion who got hurt, and he never got back to that point. Mm-hmm. It would feel so great to do that. Except for he's the heel. And so like, yeah, it's, it's, that's a baby face story. And, and, and that's why I'm curious kind of what the reaction will be from the crowd in London. Will the crowd be behind him? It's very possible. Um, but I'm sure you'll have a lot of people singing Seth's song too. It may, it may just be a 50, 50 situation. I would love for Finn to win, regardless of whatever happens next, whether he could lose it at SummerSlam, he could lose it at the Rumble. I, I don't care. He could lose it Monday on Raw, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> may, 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 no, I wouldn't do that. I know, I know. Exactly, I know. Doing exactly what happened. I know, I know. <laughs> to last time, I know. Where he would lose it after one day, uh, two days. But um, I really would feel great if he won. But my pick is going to be Rollins, just big picture wise. Yeah. So that remains the pick, but you're right. They have done a great job the last couple of weeks building in this into a huge thing that I really care about. How do you think it would be received by, you know, I hate to just say the IWC, but the IWC, if Balor won. I think they would be happy because I also think if Finn wins, the crowd is going to go nuts in a positive way. Yeah, it will. And I feel like it'd be really, it'd, it'd be really hard to be like down on that for any reason. I think there'd be a lot of people saying, oh, you killed Seth again, just like his last title reign. It was different. When Seth had his last, I think it was the Universal Championship run, there were a lot of things going on. He went into that like public spat with Will Ospreay on um, Twitter where like he was just being like a WWE defender. Like Seth was like, the poster child for like the old stand-up for WWE, or I guess maybe back then it was WWF um, stuff. Like he just defended the company ad nauseum to some degree. And the smart fan turned on him because of that. Then WWE booked him into the Hell in a Cell match with Bray Wyatt, which ended in a disqualification, which made absolutely no sense. And he just got absolutely killed as a babyface. Like the fans just didn't really care. And they ultimately had to change the title and put it on The Fiend because of what they did to Rollins and the way he wasn't really getting great reactions. Fast forward to now, it's completely different. He's putting on great matches. He's completely over. He was actually a heel that the fans turned babyface. So they wanted to root for him. And now he's the champion, deservingly so, as the inaugural one to hold this new world heavyweight championship. And then you inject Balor into the entire thing. And it's like, well, if WWE puts Balor over Rollins, are fans going to kind of turn on Rollins again? Or are they going to get back into the mode of, oh, clearly WWE doesn't believe in this guy. Also, how do you have two baby faces, one being Cody Rhodes, the other being Seth Rollins, simultaneously chasing major titles on the same show, but potentially neither of them being in those matches in the foreseeable future, because Cody, obviously, he's going after Roman Reigns' title. Seth Rollins would be going after this one, but if he just loses it and you don't run it back immediately at SummerSlam, then it's like, what the hell does Seth do between now and, let's say, the Royal Rumble if Balor has a really long run? So the point of me saying all this is I think there could be frustration mounting from fans, and 
disappointment at WWE Creative if they take it off Rollins here. But at the same time, think about how long we and they have been begging for Balor to be elevated into a main eventer again. This right now, like him winning this title, it erases the Roman Reigns bullshit with the demon. It erases the edge bullshit with the demon, right? Two matches where the Reigns one was ridiculous in terms of a finish, but it looked like he was gonna win. And the edge one was just the wrong person winning. He absolutely should have won that, especially given the position he's in now. It My point is Balor yeah. winning this, Chris, erases both of those. Those don't matter Agreed. anymore because we have Balor, dominant heel champion. Just as champion, he, he will have made it back to the mountain. Right, right. Quick question as we're going along, we're getting to the next match. Sure. Does he, is he the demon for this match or no? That's a really good question. I don't think so. Um, that for me as a viewer, I thought the demon was killed by the Reigns booking. They brought it back for Edge and Hell in a Cell at WrestleMania. And I said, okay, they can rehabilitate this and completely bring it back. If he beats Edge, then he lost again. So as far as I'm concerned, the demon is dead. If it shows up, to, it used to mean, oh, wow, he's winning the match. Now, I'm not going to say it means he's losing, but I have no belief that it matters at all. What I'd kind of love, honestly, would be a mix, Chris. I'd like to see him come out to his normal music as Finn Balor, but like, with elements of portions of his body, small portions, painted to kind of like show the demon is there, but not be the demon. That for me would be the best case scenario. Yeah, I'd love something like claw marks on his chest that like shows his heart underneath or something like but that. But not the makeup cool. and the whole deal. Everywhere. Yeah, I just want, yeah, because because yeah. it was, they did an NXT show in London, I think years ago when yeah. he dressed up as Jack the Ripper. It was awesome, yeah. Yeah, so I just I, I I wonder if they bring it back for that, but nothing in this feud has has it, it kind of shown us that that's going to happen. I was just curious; it's something I'm, I'm I'm curious if we'll see. But but I agree with your points. Outside of a very short period of time, it was like a two year, three year span. I've been watching wrestling since the Attitude Era, since I mean the early '90s, I should say. Um, but one of the things that actually got me passionate about wrestling again was Black and Gold NXT, Finn Balor the Demon. He was mm-hmm. the coolest effing dude him and shinsuke nakamura and everything that they did but the demon the entrance the presentation how badass he was how how great of a wrestler he was in the ring um the aesthetic of the entire thing it took me and i said man there is wrestling silver king that speaks to you and black and gold nxt and the demon finn balor was a huge part of it so that's why all these podcasts all these shows that we've done all these times we've seen the demon get beat and in the reigns case embarrassed um, that's why it's hurt me so personally, because it's one of the things that really got me passionate about wrestling again. All right, let's move Chris to the main event, expected main event, I should say of WWE money in the bank. It is the bloodline civil war, the Usos against Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Now in the main event of this show, we already broke down what happened on SmackDown and Chris, honestly, I think what we would normally talk about in this space is what's going to happen this coming Friday on SmackDown when Roman Reigns returns in London as the official go-home show to Money in the Bank. But we don't have the script. We don't know what's going to be happening on that show. And therefore, there's not much else to say here about this. Um, Here's the couple points I can make, okay? One, I do think it's ridiculous that Reigns has not defended the undisputed WWE Universal Championship since WrestleMania and will not have defended it between WrestleMania 
and SummerSlam. If that was going to be the case, they should have done a title defense on TV at some point. They just should have created one and just made sure that he was a fighting champion. It's the, the, the rain and the length of days is great. Hitting a thousand, awesome. He should have defended on day a thousand. The fact that he didn't, fine. He's defending at Money in the Bank. Oh no, he's not defending either. So that to me remains bothersome. And it took a rain that even though he wasn't on TV consistently, was legitimate at 1,000. And now every day after 1,000 to me, at least in this period of time, feels kind of like Fugazi. Like it's just like they're increasing the number and the guy's not even defending the title. So that pisses me off. Separate, actually, you know what? Let me pause. What are your thoughts on that before we actually get into the match? It just continues to further my belief that Roman was probably supposed to lose at Mania at some point. You can do everything he's been doing without the belt involved, but it is what it is at this point. So onto the match itself. I mean, again, there's only so much like analysis we can do because they didn't give us much to chew on this coming Friday and we don't, this past Friday, and we don't know what's going to happen this coming Friday. But I look at this match very analytically, right? You have one side that is arguably the best tag team in WWE history. People are making that argument. They're beginning to in the Usos and the other that has, yeah, the champion, the undisputed WWE universal champion and a guy who is the one person out of the four who would be by far the easiest to take the fall, especially given the fact that he just got his asses beat by his older brothers on this past Friday's SmackDown. So I look at the match and I see, well, who makes the most sense to take the fall? Sokoa. What team makes the most sense as the winners? The Usos. And I'm picking the Usos to win. Um, I assume it's a situation where, you know, Reigns gets knocked out of the ring and doesn't factor into the finish. Let's also point out that Reigns has been involved in tag team matches and lost. I believe the uh, New Year's Eve-ish, whatever the the Christmas edition, the last SmackDown of 2022 in the John Mm -hmm. Cena match, the faces won that. So it would not be necessarily odd for Reigns to lose also if you're going to continue this feud and have Reigns perhaps defend the title against Jay or Jimmy, maybe at SummerSlam, then them getting the upper hand here makes the most sense going into something like that. So for every reason, I think you have the Usos win this match. The only thing that would make sense for me, if you're gonna have the heels win, Reigns and Solo, would be Reigns getting the win, And then like going back, Chris, all the way, you know, three years ago to the segment that they did where he was in the Hell in a Cell match with Jay and he beat the shit out of him and Jay wouldn't submit and he only eventually submit because Jimmy was there and was hurt and he wanted to save his brother. The only way I could see this transpiring with Reigns and Sokoa winning is if you kind of reverse the people and he's beating the shit out of um, Jay and Jimmy relents or vice versa, whatever the case, something like that. If that was to go down and the Usos are forced to rejoin the bloodline, Reigns is like, I want you back. The only way I'm going to stop is if you guys come back, then they're there and they're resentful of him the entire time. That is the only reason from a storyline perspective that I can make a case for Reigns and Sokoa winning. Otherwise, I do think it has to be the Usos. This is harder than... I initially thought even coming into this podcast because look, Roman has been on the losing end of a lot of segments, you know, recently they lost at the last pay-per-view. They 
Uh, Jimmy super kicks him and turns on him. Jay super kicks him and turns turns on him. It's been Roman's been by his standards down bad for the last month, and that's kind. Of, I'm really curious to see how Friday goes, but I could very much see a WWE decision of we need Roman hot going into SummerSlam. He needs to get a win here and and, and move forward. But that becomes what is the SummerSlam plan? Is Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso really a SummerSlam main event? I would love it. I don't know if the guys in charge of the company would love it. Did you say Jimmy or Jay? Sorry, did you say Jimmy or Jay? Jay. I think Jay. Jay, I think Jay is. Jimmy is not. Sure. It's so like if it's Roman versus Bobby Lashley or something at SummerSlam, then I think Roman gets the win here. If if it's not, then the Usos can get the win because like they should lose. Roman and Solo are not a team. They just lost to Sammy and KO. The Usos are one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Everything in the world tells you, kayfabe wise, the Usos should win this. And that's ultimately my pick. I am picking the Usos, but I do think this really could go either way just because the classic WWE, you're down all the time, then you get the win. And Roman's been down for several weeks now. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, all right, Roman's back on top at the end of the show. Yeah, I think that's fair. Again, if if there's a storyline reason for it, I don't just want like Reigns to beat them and then they walk off and that's it. But if they do a storyline part of it, where again, like Sokoa is holding Jimmy back and uh, Reigns is beating on Jay and he's demanding that they both rejoin the bloodline. If there's a reason for Reigns and Sokoa to win, that's totally fine. But again, just looking at it like analytically, you have a however many time tag team championship group here in the Usos. And then you have Reigns and Sokoa who've only wrestled together five times on TV, less, less than five times on TV uh, slash pay-per-views or whatever. So if that's your um, tale of the tape, you know, for lack of a better term, then the idea of Reigns getting eliminated over the announce table and Sokoa getting caught with, again, double super kicks and double Uso splashes you already know that they can beat them two on one. So that would make the most sense to me in terms of the, all the different ways in the, which the match could transpire. Yeah. And, and I guess if the Usos win, the only place to go after that would be Jay versus Roman for the title. Like if the Usos win, right. What else do they have to do? They've already broken up. It was the same thing with Sammy and KO. They won. We're out. Presumably the storyline's going to go on. So either you do you'd either do Jay Roman if the Usos win or Roman and Solo win, and you can keep the story going on some other way like that. The other thing you could do is the Usos winning and lifting Solo and like getting his back and Solo walking out with them, or they're trying to convince him of that, but then Solo like looks at Reigns out of the corner of his eye and attacks them again. So there are different ways that you can kind of do this, um, but. With, with no matter which team wins, really, is what I'm trying to get at. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, we don't know the storyline and we don't know the go-home segment, so it's just really tough to kind of make that prediction. Let me ask you this. On the entire card, right, is this the most 50-50 match for you where you really believe it could go either way? Or is there something else where if you had to change your prediction, let's say, um, you'd be more keen to do that? I assume we're cutting out the Money in the Bank matches because um, those are 50-50. Yeah, sure. That's fair. 
Because for the both money in the bank matches, you can make a case for multiple different winners. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it would be those. It would be those by default. But but it, right. but if not, yes, this is the one in terms of women's tag. Cody Dominic. Well, I guess Cody Dominic. I, I picked Dominic, so I, I guess it's what I guess it's between one of those two. Yeah, I would actually. That's why I asked it. I think Cody Dominic for me is more 50-50 than this is. Like I think there's a like the way I look at it is I think there's a greater chance of Dominic winning based on Brock Lesnar interfering than there is Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa coming out on top. But that could just be naivete for me where I, I'm kind of looking at it like, man, it makes so much sense for the Usos to win. And I'm not taking into account the fact that, hey, guess who wins almost every single time he's in the ring? Roman Reigns. And who lost the last time he was in the ring. Right. So, yeah, it's tough. All no, right. Good. It's good. It's good. And we don't know. It's 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 fun. It is. It's 50 50. No, that's when you sit when we sit here and just predict every match and we're like, hey, we can't even make cases for the other side winning. That's not fun. This is good. This was a good conversation. Chris, let's go ahead and wrap up this WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview the way we always do with our pre-show expectation grades. Now, you're going to give yours. I'm going to give mine. And then once again, if you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, you will be able to vote in our pre-show poll going live one hour before WWE Money in the Bank. I believe the show is starting at 3 p.m. Eastern, which means the poll will go up at 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, we will have the post-show poll as soon as WWE Money in the Bank goes off the air. So Chris, with all of that said, what is your pre-show expectation grade for Money in the Bank? I'm going to say A-. minus. A lot of stuff I really like here, but ultimately we don't have a Roman Reigns title match. Mm -hmm. That's going to be in the main event. We did pick champions retaining in all of them. And at least I didn't pick Elena winning, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to pretty much everything on the card. So I'll say a solid A minus. And just for comparison for everyone, we both gave a pre-show expectation grade of A to AEW and JPW Forbidden Door this past week. I'm right there with you at A minus. Um, the reason why I cannot go full A for an expectation is exactly the same as you. Roman Reigns is not defending the title on the show, but even beyond that, this bloodline civil war story, again, it started hot two weeks ago, but they cooled it off so much this past Friday. I'm not saying I'm not anticipating it. I'm not saying I don't think it's gonna be a good match. It probably is gonna be a banger. In fact, I don't even question that part of it. And I'm sure there's gonna be great storytelling elements as well. I'm just saying going into the show, I'm not anticipating it as much as I have been other things that they've done with this storyline in the past. Everything else on the card besides this though, I'm excited about. I do wish there was at least one women's singles match on the show. I think it's kind of ridiculous there's not a women's singles title match. I'm sorry, I should say. But at least they did put the tag team titles on the show. So that is a positive. We have two Money in the Bank matches. The fields for both of them are very exciting. Gunther Matt Riddle is going to absolutely bang. And again, Cody Rhodes and Dominic Mysterio, it may sound weird to you, but it's the biggest baby face on Raw against the biggest heel on Raw. And that is going to be an incredible atmosphere with London booing the absolute shit out of Dom. And I forgot to mention here, what else could be the match of the night? Seth Rollins against Finn Balor for the World Heavyweight Championship. Maybe we even see a title change. That's gonna be incredible as well. So I would be doing this card a disservice to give it an expectation grade, anything below an A minus, but I cannot get to the A for the same reason that you mentioned. So we are exactly, Chris, on the same page. And I will note, I'm very interested to see when you do watch Forbidden Door, 
what your grade on that show is going to be. Because it's rare to never that we go into a show saying A, flat A is an expectation grade. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't listened to it yet, and Chris, you haven't watched it yet, I didn't come anywhere near an A uh, at the end of Forbidden Door. So we'll go ahead and maybe, maybe have that conversation on Thursday. On the way out here, folks, we do have one final segment. I know it's been a long show, but let's get to it. It is the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch your mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now, normally the last word is a segment meant to be Chris and I going back and forth for a reader question. I got four questions this week. We're gonna bank some of those and use them in the future. It's a question that kind of stems from a conversation we had last week. Rob Zombie at underscore Rob H11 wrote in, Adam, I'm always impressed by the seeming detail in the notes that you take for each wrestling show. I'm interested in the process of how you take notes, digital or by hand. Do you save all your old notes? How has the process evolved over time? How do you do the move by move breakdown in real time? And do you ever consume any wrestling for fun without the idea of your podcast writing for your dictating how you watch it? You can actually join in, Chris, on the second part of this. Uh, So let me answer your questions. And the reason why I read this is, hey, I took constructive criticism last week from one of our five-star reviews. I was happy to, by the way, do that. So I'm gonna take Rob's praise here. Uh, The process is actually not that difficult. It's digital. I don't do it by hand. Um, That would be way too crazy given the number of hours of wrestling TV to have to keep like a notepad and skim through it and then you know, flip it on air. It would make too much noise. So everything's digital. I mostly do bullet points. I don't like write paragraphs or full match descriptions. Even though I think any of you who listen to the show can realize I don't have that great of like a long-term memory. Like, if you said, hey, Adam, who was the main event of WrestleMania 31? I'd have to ask like four follow-up questions. Where was it? Um, was it a championship match? Like just to be able to like figure out what it was. I do have pretty good short-term memory. So I take bullet points of like match sequences and then I'm able to kind of fill it out verbally as I discuss it on the show. That's why um, some descriptions for matches are short because I only have one bullet point while others may be longer if I have you know five, six, seven, or eight and I just kind of talk about everything that happened and the elements of storyline that surrounded some of those individual moves that happened. That's kind of why that goes down and also why it's difficult for me to kind of cut it down live as I'm talking about it. And yes, that process has evolved over time. There was a period where I would write things out a couple shows ago, I stopped doing that. Um, The bullet points make for a much more natural conversation and Let me see what else you ask. Oh, the last question. Uh, Do you ever consume any wrestling for fun without the idea of your podcast uh, or writing career dictating how you watch it? Um, I have fun doing this, right? Like anyone who's watched The Bear, um, which by the way is an incredible show on FX, just completed season two myself watching it on Monday night. They ask the same question to the the chef in the show. They're like, hey man, uh, you don't seem to be having fun while you do this. And he's like, I don't know how I could do this if I didn't enjoy it, right? If it didn't mean something to me. So entertaining and informing, really more than entertaining, informing all of you and having the type of dialogue that we have is fun for me. It makes this feel valuable and worthwhile. So do I consume wrestling outside of this? Not really. I mean, I do watch some of the documentaries and I will occasionally flip back to an old match, but No, wrestling really has become a job for me now and I don't dislike it and I don't miss it because one of the things about wrestling, and Chris, you tell me how you feel about this, 
is what makes it fun and exciting and interesting is being able to discuss it with other people. And, oh, I can't believe they did this. Oh, I wish they did this. Did you hear about that crazy thing that happened behind the scenes? That to me is what is most entertaining about it. Not just like sitting on my couch and saying, wow, that was a really good wrestling match. Okay, what's next in my life? It's the extra that to me gets me amped and excited about it. So if I didn't have this, then I'd be texting Chris like crazy. Hey, dude, did you see this? Like, you know, I can't believe they did this, but then it's only Chris hearing my takes. So instead, all of you get to hear them and see them on Twitter. And previously when I would write about wrestling, it kind of all came together. So Chris, that's my take on it. I have fun doing this. Um, What about you? Your last point is the key point. Like the fun of wrestling is talking with other people about it. That's why I wanted to come on this podcast when Adam asked if I'd be mm-hmm. interested. And I'm like, yeah, anytime you want, man. Like I watch the wrestling. I need some people to talk to about it because I, I talk with my brother about it, but like my other close friends don't. So it's a Same. lot of just talk, talking with people on Twitter about it. So uh, it, it, it's an outlet to talk about it. I would not be watching as much week to week if not for the show. Mm-hmm. There are some weeks where I'm like, Ugh, I don't really want to watch Raw. But uh, it just because it's so long, but I, I have um, I have a much better memory of things because we talk them out. People like, hey, WB will post a clip. Hey, remember this Kevin Owens, AJ Styles match from whatever? Right. I have zero memory of it, like at all. So talking it out and doing this podcast has actually helped my um, my memory of it in terms of watching wrestling for fun outside of the show. It's what you said. It's the documentaries. I'm a, I'm a few behind on Dark Side of the Ring. I need mm-hmm. to catch up on that. Same. We generally haven't talked about those on the show just because we're, the, the shows are very long anyway. But it's stuff like that. Go back and watch an old match here or there. When I come into town and see my family, we'll watch an old match or something like that. Um, but like, or like I'm not in the AEW or NXT weekly show, but I usually catch Dynamite for mm-hmm. fun. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I am able to get wrestling wrestling outside of this for fun, but a lot of the fun is the talking about it. Yeah. And when I said that, you know, for those of you who of course don't have podcasts, which I'm assuming it's pretty much everyone listening to us. Um, there's so many ways you can talk about it. First of all, friends, obviously I like Chris, I don't have any close friends that watch wrestling. I do have some, um, associates or or colleagues, I should say, and people that I know who watch it, but not that I'm going to sit and text all night about what's happening live on raw. Obviously people are in discords or they're on Reddit. Um, or even just listening to podcasts. It's even though you're not necessarily communicating with us live, you're, it feels like you're having that conversation with a friend or you're hearing, you're sitting as a third party listening to a couple buddies discuss what they saw and what they thought from Raw or SmackDown or AEW or whatever the case. So it's the communal aspect of wrestling that to me makes it so entertaining. And again, the fact that we're able to do this show, that it's successful, that I feel like when we're doing it, we're informing you. Um, And that's not to say that we're thinking of concepts or um, lending information that perhaps you can't or don't think of, but it's about contextualizing it in a way where it's both entertaining, informative, and perhaps makes you think about certain things or even just confirms or bumps up against your own takes for things that you see with your own eyes when you watch, you know, whatever, WWE, AEW, et cetera. So Rob, it was a great question. I'm, I'm so thankful that you asked it. Of course, I'm so thankful that everyone listens to the show. And to Chris's point, when I asked him to join, I said, hey, Chris, um, my co-host, who I thought I was building an entire podcast with, well, it didn't really work out. I was like, Chris, do you want to jump on for a show and just see if we have any chemistry? And we finished the show. I published it. 
And then like, I think, what was it? A couple hours later, I was like, Chris, uh, you down to come back next week? And that was three years ago. We've pretty much been doing every WWE show and plenty of AEW shows together since. So I appreciate Chris, uh, you joining me here. Rob, I appreciate your question. All of you listening, thanks for joining us here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That was the last word. It is time to wrap things up. So allow me to remind you on the way out that this podcast is all about Defy. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We will read them live right here on the show if you do. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, all that good stuff. You also get to vote in our pre and post show polls for WWE Money in the Bank and join us live on Twitter spaces Saturday afternoon before Money in the Bank begins. Don't forget what's coming up the rest of this week. Of course, we have the NXT special solo show on Wednesday, AEW on Thursday, and the WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction Saturday early evening in the United States once that goes off the air. And lastly, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do too. So join us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Support this show that clearly has love for you. Show us some love for only $5 a month. Not only does that, of course, support us financially, but you also get bonus audio and news posts as well. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. This was a long show. I appreciate all of you sticking with us the entire time. Vintage will be back at least once, if not perhaps twice this week. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with three final words. Bye for now.